Welcome to What's Left of the Watchmen, a Watchmen review podcast from a socialist perspective. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Oh, very socialist perspective. Uh, I was just on Twitter today, uh, as we are wont to do, and I, I like coming up with uh, like you know Twitter polls, right, where it just breaks people's brains. Uh, and it, it, the way to do it is have a really simple question and only give two choices and both choices are just like, I, I don't know, like I could do either fucking one. So, and I've done this about six times now where it'll be hundreds, if not thousands of replies and it, it's like 49 to 51. Right. So my, my, just, my poll was who's more annoying, uh, the gun girl or the socialist for Warren girl who, you know, obviously, if you're online, you know who the gun girl is. She's this, you know, sort of uh, naive, sort of attractive college-age girl that walks around college campuses with an AR-15 trying to, like, you know... Dresses like get, raw chicken sometimes, you know? Yeah, like, like apparently shit her pants at a party, so that's, you know, got that going for her. But it's just constantly like trying to get people to debate her, like that whole, to just like, debate me, debate me, debate me, like that whole right-wing thing. And it's like, why? You're a fucking idiot and you're a jerk. And then apparently now this new grift where uh, people now that Liz Warren in the polls has like stagnated and starting to to uh, deteriorate, uh, you know, she's co-opted as much from Bernie Sanders as possible and now has to just kind of flat out say like, oh, well, actually, uh, there's there's a lot of socialists that support Warren, too. And even though you, we, we may agree with Bernie, we think Liz Warren has the bit, you know, she's like total like no one's buying it. Right. But there's a bunch of accounts that are now doing this because it's a very clearly coordinated thing. But it's just it's really funny. Like th- this woman, young woman, even like started off her whole tweet uh, is just like total bait because she said, like, I'd like to, you know, dear all Bernie supporters, mm-hmm. you've not, you know, like just basically just trying to get everyone as possible to reply and then go, oh, my God, I'm being harassed. I'm being harassed. I only said something condescending to thousands of people online. And now they're responding to it disagreeing. You know, look at me. I'm the fucking victim. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, n- n- nobody believes that somebody who is a capitalist to her bones, Liz Warren, uh, is going to fight for even the things she pretends to that she stole from Bernie, let alone push for like a real socialist agenda of uh, democracy in the workplace, uh, you know, nationalizing utilities, uh, public ownership of things that aren't currently publicly owned that should be. So yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's funny. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, they're, it's just they're really both goofy. different kinds of irritating. So we'll see. It's got 742 votes already and it's still 49 to 51. Uh, Social for Warren is up by 2% over Gun Girl. <laughs> yeah, I voted for Socialist for Warren, but that's I think that's more of a recency bias than anything. Um, oh, yeah. They're well, both, that's what they're, you gotta, they're both insufferable. Exactly. You got to pit somebody who's like burned into people's minds is awful versus somebody who is like very recent in people's memory. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. Because no, no one's going to remember the, the socials for Warren, you know, a week from now. Gun Girls, no. she's up there, right? <laughs> so. Until until socialist for Warren becomes a, a Warren campaign surrogate. And then we find a bunch of like really like homophobic tweets in her past. And then they pretend that she was never a surrogate. Right. right. That'll, be, that'll be their fucking life cycle. Exactly. Because it was know? like a, an account they bought from somebody that used to be a Nazi, you know, and didn't like yeah. bother to keyword <laughs> search the prior tweets and like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Like that yeah. was that guy, the, uh, the animal brother guy who had a, he like bought his account because they had a huge following he had a bunch of nazi tweets in it uh, if i don't even know um but and and look i mean honestly the warren versus bernie thing it's if you look at the actual demographics that support them it's pretty obvious that people aren't fooled the people that support warren are uh you know middle-aged uh college educated liberal women uh you know white women i should also specify that's our biggest voting block. And Bernie's voting base is an extremely diverse um, working class base of young people uh, who understand that they're being fucked by the system every day. So, it, you know, uh, Warren can talk a good game about it, but she's not fooling anybody. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence that yet another fucking billionaire is throwing their hats uh, throwing their hat in the ring this week because it, they're fucking terrified that Bernie's literally you know, surged to first place in some national polls. Emerson poll had him tied at 22% with Joe Biden for first place. They're fucking terrified. It's like it, whatever, it, it, give me any rich asshole that's willing to blow $50 million of their own money uh, just to stop Bernie. Like we'll do anything we can. So that's, that's the fucking strategy right now. But, but that's, you know, that's, more, that's more for our main political show. It was just, it, it was a fun, Which if you uh, like, check it out. We record those on Thursdays. I know you're here to want to hear about uh, the Watchmen, but, uh, you know, if you like the Watchmen, you probably got a lot of political views, uh, especially if you like, you know, this series, this, that HBO this series, doing, current incarnation, uh, yeah. that, that's blowing everyone's minds, you know, except for the. Uh, the the incels, the the racists, the homophobes. The yeah, if you if you like this episode, you're 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 probably gonna like our, our political show. Like if you if you, if you came yeah. away with that being like, yeah, you know, I really like that episode, but you know, socialist politics not for me. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'm not really quite sure what show you're watching. So, um, so check that out every Thursday. Move left, idiots. Yeah, you just watched the this episode six today on your lunch break. Is that right? Well, I, I watched half of it last night and I finished it today. Yeah, you did. OK, yeah. I, I usually like to watch at least two, three times to catch all the details. But, uh, you know, part of that's Lindelof likes to do nonlinear storytelling. Uh, and we're sort of even with primarily one or two character focused episodes still jumping from place to place. Whereas this was, you know, even though it's a giant flashback was the most linear story weirdly very linear while not at all linear within the story <laughs> well actually yeah, yeah i mean it was, yeah. you know it, it was, it was very, everything's moving you know in one direction we didn't have the vite uh sort of you know yeah, no, story so uh, i don't know what happened with with uh wade with looking glass you know that yeah about that's to be still like the end of the last episode exactly so i and this is this is a huge risk because they've already been doing like a you know an ensemble cast but then very similar to the watchman comic most episodes were focused on just one character at a time, right? And then you you see these the whole situation from very different perspectives. When you're like, "Oh, I was I thought we were just like this was the Angela show, and now it's not, you know, and now it is again, yeah. but then it, now it's not." Uh, and then to do a whole episode that isn't just stylistically completely different, uh, but a whole different time period, 
you know, you don't have any of the Trent Reznor music in it, except for, you know, in two little parts. Um, and, and you don't even have any of the, 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 the B cast that we have in the show, like, like, uh, Tim Blake Nelson with looking glass. It's like completely just, here you go. It's, it's another show within a show, within a show, within a show. Um, and then on top of that, you know, that we have the, the actual original show within a show, American horror story. And we sure. completely, completely invert that with the entire premise of, of this and show, you know, direct scenes that we already showed that were completely, you know, you can just tell we're, we're mocking Zack Snyder or <laughs> paying homage to him. If you really believe that shit. Uh, and, and, and not even just showing that like the situation was different, but like the, the direction through which the hero went through the paint glass window was different. <laughs> so, uh, right. and it was a totally different situation. That was like the, the great thing about that scene is that, well, we'll get to, we'll talk about it when we get to that scene, but it was a yeah. total inversion of what actually happened in that scene of the American hero story version. So, I mean, you've got the whole American hero story, which is very much a send up of the Snyder, uh, you know, rapid fire yeah. editing, just, you know, camera angles from every different direction, uh, ultra violence. It's not humanly possible. And then in this, it's all just these long, fluid, no edit shots, whether it's the fight scenes or, uh, you know, like the, the cadet scene where they're getting their badge for the first time. There's no edits in that whole sequence. The camera's just very slowly moving around and you, you can, you know, I mean, if you're like watching a show, you might be like looking, looking at your phone too. No, I'm not even notice it, but it's there. It's stylistically, it's, the, it's as different from the Zack Snyder film and the American hero story narrative as could be. Uh, and I love that they start on that to stylistically not not just show you kind of the uh, you know how wrong that show is like like Asia Petey says uh, that shows bullshit, um, yeah. but also just to show that like you know the, the the public thinks this person who they believe was a real you know historical superhero first superhero uh, was a white guy with blue eyes, right. Uh, so, you know, apparently even if you do a little white makeup around your eyes, uh, people don't look really close at your, uh, uh, your, uh, what's a little part of the called the iris. There you go. Iris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a ton to get to this week. Uh, you know, before we get into the episode proper, I, I know you wanted to talk a couple about a couple theories, but I mean, broadly, I just want to, you know, in terms of the episode itself, uh, I said last week was my favorite. This one's, I, I don't know. It's really, it's really like neck and neck for me. I, this was such an interesting and kind of challenging episode of television. And it, it remind it very much felt like a spiritual successor to the international assassin episode of the leftovers, which was Lindelof's last project it, in, in that it was very um, different than the rest of the series and, and took our, you know, kind of our protagonist on this insane uh, journey through a a semi-real, you know, world. And it was a very, um, I I just think it was an incredible hour of television. Uh, You know, I think it's really just super ballsy on a show this layered with mystery uh, to just say, you know what, fuck all these other stories. We're going to take an hour to just show you this incredible um, backstory that is actually you didn't realize the backbone of the entire series of Watchmen, the entire sequence of events that we've seen play seen play out. It, it's kind well, of an it, incredible, it, you know, shot to take. It, it is. I think with, with the, uh, you know, with leftovers, it was kind of like it, 
they didn't explain a whole lot that was unresolved. They were adding to like, wait, is this his imagination or is this the alternate universe that they all supposedly went to? Like, you don't really know. Whereas this, we're getting a lot more answers. Right. Uh, And you know, the, the, the tricky part, you know, I mentioned the, you know, the incels, the homophobes, the, the racists that already don't like what this show is about, but we're just enraged at what they perceive as retconning of this because, you know, uh, Hooded Justice was a, a, a straight white guy, uh, and that's his legacy. And I, I even engaged with some of these people. I'm like, what legacy? He's got like five lines. He's, in, not, in he's like Watchmen. a nothing. Ca- I mean, not that right. he's a nothing character. His one significant moment in the entire comic is that he stopped the uh, attempted rape of, of uh, Laurie's mother uh, yeah. from by uh, by the comedian. So Edward Blake. So it's like uh, that's the only thing people really know him for in the comics. One of the alternate takes I I read that was kind of weird was uh, some people saying, "Well, all the Minutemen were fascists, and who did Justice defended Hitler? So they're making him into a black character. I'm offended by that." It was kind of like the other end of the spectrum as far as what people didn't like. But the whole like defended Hitler thing that came from uh, some like bonus material. Uh, of like Night Owl One's uh, tell-all book where he basically said he heard that third-hand info and didn't even know if it was true, but he just threw it in there because he's writing a book, right? Well, if we now know the character, you know, if we're presuming this is all in one universe and uh, that the the character was was trying to pretend to be white for his own safety and because, uh, you know, uh, Captain Asshole Metropolis was basically forcing him to, uh, then it kind of stands the reason that especially prior to World War II, when Hitler was still kind of like, yeah, some people liked him, some people didn't, because they didn't know this extent what he was going to do. If you were trying to blend in and look white, you might say some nice things about Hitler, right? Uh, and there's also a portion in the actual, the real comic, where they're talking about, you know, what should the Minutemen do? And the comedian says, oh, we should go to, we should go to uh, Europe and, you know, fuck up the people over there. And Hood Justice says... Uh, well, we're not at war for one, and we're not supposed to be political. So some people took that as like a "oh, he's a secret Nazi" kind of a thing, um, which I think they're they're just like they're reading really far into it. But that that just shows like how little there is. Uh, There's nothing, uh, and, the and the one, the one, one of the one, the, the main significant things we know about him is that he's never taken his mask off, even in the presence of the other members of the Minutemen, and that's a pretty right. weird thing for uh, just a regular ass white dude to do. In the watch, and, and I'm not saying that Al Moore even intended this necessarily. He might have, you know, purposely left it ambiguous. But well, I, I think it, I think what yeah. Lindelof did is as good as read as any. And I, you know. I, I think you're right, and I think there may be even more there uh, because if you look at some of the other backstory, uh, there was sort of a, a setup romance between Silk Spectre One and Hood of Justice that uh, Night Owl comments on was seemed like it was always for show. Like he, he mm. even said in his memoir that she always had his arms on him, but he never would put his hands on her. Like, huh. and you see it in like the in the comic book in the picture. She's got his arms around him in that picture, and he's his hands are just hanging to the side, like no interest at all, right? Mm. And comedian, comedian, when he's getting his ass kicked by by Hood of Justice, even alludes to the fact that he has some. He gets off on on getting rough with men. Like that's his uh-huh. kink. That's what turns him on. So the comedian also like kind of sees through everybody can fucking tell what they're really about. Right. 
Yeah. So and, and t- no the idea, the idea that, you know, that, that Lindelof is retconning his character as being queer uh, isn't accurate because there's yeah. definitely little seeds of it. Right. Here's the big one. Right. So there's many versions of, uh, you know, many editions of the Watchmen that have been put out since it initially came out in 1986. Uh, there were special editions, definitive editions. Uh, one of the big ones was almost 500 pages long. That's the comic book plus a bunch of bonus material. When I say bonus material, we're talking like a original uh, idea sketches, original correspondence between Alan Moore, and Dave Gibbon, correspondence mm-hmm. between you know DC and the t- you know because they didn't have email back then, so they probably had yeah. to fax things back and forth. Right, they're not in the same place. Uh, so there was an edition that came out, 20 year anniversary edition, 2006 was called the absolute edition. And it has a ton of correspondence, uh, before the characters were even drawn of what Alan Moore's outlines were for the Minutemen, Right. And it even says that the character we know as, uh, um, that we know as a hooded justice now was a uh, homosexual with sadomastic tendencies says that in his outline. Hmm. Here's the big thing. Here's the fucking, the, the, <laughs> here's what blew me away. The original name for the character was not hooded justice. The original name for the character Alan Moore came up with in his notes was brother Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not no, fucking total, kidding. total wreck, total retcon. He pulled it out of his ass. <laughs> There's no context for this. So and you know who knows that? Damon Lindelof absolutely has read that fucking edition. Which is why he came up with a character called Sister Knight, because he knows the true origin of Alan Moore's character before it ever was even drawn was Brother Knight. The character Uh was originally always meant to be black. Yep. Um, Yeah. So I I think that, again, it's it's as good of a read from the context as any. I think it would be foolish to ignore all of that. Yeah. If anyone wants to fact check this, it's on page 444 and 445 of the absolute edition of Watchmen published in 2006. So, like, I did my homework. That's the one I have because I have one from the <laughs> mid two thousands. I don't know if it's just like a basic ass one though. I have to yeah. go look at the. I have it with me actually because I I brought it with me. Um, you know, at my mother's house, I brought it uh, with me to read tonight after we do this because I I've really been meaning to go back and reread the entire comic because I haven't yeah. done it for years. So I, I think I'll pick up a lot of uh, clues. I I was flicking through and I actually noticed one. Uh, page where Vite literally is setting up to record a message uh to the world and he's dressed like we see him in last week's episode and, and that's not something that i saw much online and that's I, I was like oh so clearly he was set up to record this message and then they just never returned to it in the comics so that like that was him setting up to record the video message we see in last episode uh to yep. redford <clears throat> so that was just really nice little callback to that um yeah, I mean, but yeah. When I, just when I read that, I was like, "That's it." I mean, Lindelof didn't miss anything. He, I mean, just saw even things that Alan Moore probably didn't even like think about that would be done later on. But yeah, you know, found a way to broaden the story without changing <clears throat> anything from from what was originally actually there with the characters that just didn't get included. Yeah, 
no, for sure. Yeah. All right. So, well, let's get through the episode. Let's go through the episode. Uh, we'll have a lot of theories along the way, I'm sure. Um, and you know, we've we've been we've been doing pretty well with our theories so far. I think we we even pieced together that that they would juxtapose the kind of uh, Will painting the white face like I paint on with Angela painting the kind of black, like even d- darker, uh, you know, I, I paint on, uh, under the mask. So I, I you know, there, there's just a lot of stuff, I think, um, you know, n- not just us, but the internet in general kind of sniffed out, but that to me, that's good storytelling. If you can, you know, effectively pay off these, these, uh, interesting and emotional, plot points without it seeming like you're just pulling something out of nowhere to to swerve your audience like that to me you know i see a lot of people completely like oh people called a lot of this stuff it's like yeah okay great would you rather have had him uh, take off the hood and reveal that hooded justice is a fucking uh i don't even know i was gonna say a neo-nazi but that's you know semi-contextual something totally out of left field that like nothing just to shock people or to you know to subvert expectations like that's not sure. interesting well, storytelling uh, exactly well i think that's what's so great about the american hero story is it, it's mocking the uh <laughs> exactly you know, christopher nolan batman and zack snyder just like oh, i'll never take off my mask you know like that's that's who you really <laughs> think that guy is and you realize he's actually like this much more sensitive uh deeply traumatized you know young man uh and you know as we go through the episode it just gets fucking worse and worse and worse um that that you go back and you look at that that group photo of the Minutemen from the comic book, and it's fucking heartbreaking. Because now you're yeah. like, that's not just like a, a a blank canvas fucking muscle man that beats people up. There's all this there's all this depth to it now. Uh, adding depth to a character, uh, using everything that was originally there, and, and just you know expanding on it is not retconning, right? You're not going back and changing anything. You're just going, oh, see this little thing that could be anything. Well, let's push it in this direction yeah yeah absolutely um yeah so with that let's let's start going through the episode i think it'll be a little bit less uh blocked off than usual i mean it was really one continuous story um but and you know with a lot of very interesting uh interstitials and that's something that you know i won't really mention much in the recap but i thought it was incredible the way that they intercut uh just just the dis- disparate uh scenes you know you'd just randomly have the piano player involved like just just the little uh elements of of color in the black and white world which were to signify that this is from a different memory bleeding into this memory sure. coupled with the kind of flashes back and forth between will and angela you know like there's that great shot where uh where um Oh my God. What's her name? Uh, Will's wife, uh, June holds up the mirror to, uh, Will and we see Will in one mirror and we see Angela in the other. And then it's just a real, very, just very a lot of really interesting shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blows your fucking mind. Uh, um, but I, I love real, that real quick. Yeah. The, the, the mother playing the piano, of course she, she's dead. Um, but you know, it's sort of like Lindelof's little kind of like wink to the whole, uh, you know, Schindler's list never got mm. made, but the movie pale horse did, in this universe like yeah. doing that little yeah the colorized element yeah for sure in the black and white um yeah so we open uh on on as we mentioned the uh minutemen television series which it tells us right or you know the american hero story minutemen uh season 
uh, and we get this just really over the top, goofy uh, interrogation scene with these really just you know stereotypical like you know over the top uh, you know cops interrogating uh, this over the top you know uh, vigilante but a justice. Um, and it's a it's a really funny scene just because we know the context of it within this universe, you know, hyper violent, like he punches the guy and the fountain of blood like spurts out of his just everything that the series itself is not. Um, and that's actually something I really wanted to highlight. And, and something I loved about this episode is that the actual uh, violence and fighting portrayed on the show is incredibly done. I mean, it, it feels very, you know, John Wick. It just feels very real combat. And when I say that, I mean the actual stuff where we see Will, you know, taking on the muggers and taking on the cops later. Like, it's just very um, realistically portrayed and and well done and not, you know, goofy or tropey uh, versus this American hero story depiction of violence, which is obviously completely over the top Zack Snyder-esque, you know, nonsense, but it's hilarious. Um, and I think that's actually a really interesting juxtaposition that they do throughout the episode where we see the kind of inverse of all of these American hero story scenes when we see what the actual nature of those scenes were. Um, And the interesting thing uh, that I talked to you about before we recorded earlier today was that uh, part of the PDpedia uh, files that were released this week, which is the kind of supplemental material that HBO is putting out, uh, it was the will of... um, of uh captain metropolis uh nelson walker nelson Fuller, i forget his exact name his real name but um and in it he leaves everything he has to will as kind of a penance for being a shithead and you know uh, treating him the way he did you know for forcing him to stay closeted forcing him to not reveal that he's a black man etc cetera, etc cetera. um not helping him when he's figured out the conspiracy uh, later in the episode um, so he feels a lot of guilt about that, and he leaves him his entire estate, including all of the rights to the uh, Minutemen memorabilia and Minutemen IP, Minutemen intellectual property, which presumably Will had to then, assuming he claimed the will, uh, had to then release to uh, the network that's making American Hero Story. So that's an interesting wrinkle in the episode about well did will um sign off on his portrayal on the show is he doing that to continue his cover is is there some other larger plot involved with him and lady true i mean we do know that later in the episode there's a lot of you know stuff about mesmerizing and and you know trying to mass hypnotize groups of people through the use of film so it's it's an interesting thing to keep in the back of your mind going forward for these episodes. I don't know if there's anything there yet, but I think it's certainly so Will Reeves, interesting. Will Reeves and this continuity fell off the grid completely in 1951, right? Yeah. FBI didn't have any record of where he's been since then. Uh, they got his fingerprints off the car. They had his DNA. They figured out who he is. But, uh, you know, even if they, uh, you know, could have this will written out or made out to Will Reeves, <laughs> even if they could have found him, uh, you know, whatever time, if he was in and around Tulsa after the 1951, uh, whoever made this show, American Hero Story, uh, probably started making this not more than a couple of years ago. This, this show was debuting as yeah. the events of this series start. So 
where the fuck would have they found him? <laughs> I guess well, to to approach him to uh, you know get him to sign off for, for doing that certain, TV show. Yeah, it's it's certainly it's certainly uh, a good question. I, I think the only answer that would make it work, and again, this is just I don't know if this is even if if we're I'm just shooting in the wind, spitting in the wind here, but. The only thing that I would say is maybe if he is, in fact, working with Lady True and there is some component of uh, mind control to their plan, which, you know, there was with Veidt's original plan, uh, she could have facilitated this uh, and made sure that it didn't appear even on the FBI. You know, when you have a trillion dollars, you can do a lot of shit to keep things uh, extremely quiet. So, I mean, who knows? Like, that's I, I think if it is revealed that it that is the case, then I wouldn't be. I wouldn't question it in terms of who facilitated it. But again, it could totally gotcha. not be the case. Right. So in addition to being an allegory, you think it may be that, uh, you know, this, not not to jump ahead, but the um, sort of cinematic strobing flashlight, mesmerizing, hypnotizing, get people to uh, cause chaos and kill each other technology that... Uh, the Cyclops KKK was developing that we now see that Will has sort of a, a high tech flashlight version yeah. of that, which I'm sure he didn't make himself. I'm sure he got from Lady True. Right. You know that the the show itself may be a vehicle for possibly a different kind of um, trying to influence the public type of thing. On top of being a, a very historically inaccurate TV show yeah. as to the events that we well, see. So and and you think about the fact that. Um, Number one, this is a world that doesn't have internet, so I would imagine that appointment television, uh, presumably there's no DVR because that's all internet-based cloud technology, I mean, for the most part. Um, so presumably appointment television is more of a thing still in this in this era in 2019 in this right. uh, universe. So, you know, you figure 30, 40 million people, this is the most watched show on television I think they mentioned. At one point, they had um, it on at the police station. Remember, all the cops are sitting around watching it. And, <laughs> exactly, which nobody does like, now. Turn that nonsense TBR off. It. Yeah, because yeah. and that's that's such a bygone era thing where people huddle around a TV. But in a world where there is no DVR, people probably still do all sit and watch something at the same time. Coupled with the fact that the show itself is super geared towards like you know getting as many people to watch as possible. You know, just over the top sure. gratuitous violence, sex. You know. Uh, profound everything that that is banned in that society because it's you know hyper nanny state liberal robert redford has has outlawed a bunch of this shit um that that's like super appealing to the populace so i guarantee you like 50 to 100 million people watch that show so if they want to plan something that's going to affect a mass group of people that's a great fucking way to you know like it's an interesting We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk more about the, the idea of yeah. of hypnotism uh, once we yeah, get, as to we that get part to that of the scene. scene. Uh, um, I've done a little bit of research on this, but uh, but yeah, so that's um, you know that's interesting. The interrogation scene really funny. A uh, couple little funny things from there. They mention uh, uh, that that Captain Metropolis is blackmailing um, J, uh, J Edgar Hoover. Like that was one of the people that it's implied that he uh had 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 an affair with uh you know and jagger hoover notoriously was closeted as well as just being a fucking awful person who destroyed the lives of you know countless activists and yeah he was a fascist he was a total fascist fascist. uh yeah i love how they they frame it though they're like yeah he's got a, a, a 
a film reel of a guy made up to look like Gia Gahuva because Gia Gahuva <laughs> would never do the kind of things you freaks do. And they're like, they, it's clear that they know it really is him, but they're just like, they won't say it out loud. You know, they're I also like that, that that cop at one point called Captain Metropolis, Captain Big Cockles. <laughs> just, just such an over-the-top, yeah. douchey, like, New York, you know, cop. But uh, super funny. Um, yeah, so so we get that scene, which was just kind of a, a palate cleanser for the rest of the episode. And obviously, you know, kind of set up the dynamic between uh, what we see on that show versus what, what actually happens. So uh, from there, we get... Angela and Lori talking in the jail cell, you know, Angela presumably this is right after she got placed in the cell and is, is just starting to feel the effects of nostalgia. Lori's trying to find out who her grandfather is um, desperately before she slips off into uh, the, the trance or the nostalgia. State. It's actually funnily enough uh, from the PDPedia, you learn that when you're tripping on nostalgia, it's called waxing, which, which I thought was pretty clever. You know, waxing nostalgic, wax. It's like the equivalent of tripping on nostalgia. Oh, I got uh, it. Or OD. it was it was very clever. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just funny. Um, but Brad Pitt at Norton uh, Fight Club on the airplane. Oh, I got it. It was clever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like the expository dialogue that we get in the jail cell as she's about. To it's a little much, it. yeah, because they just showed us like what happened on the last episode. As like they already explained everything, and well, it's it was just kind of like. She's saying like, oh, I know you already know this, but let me just say it anyway. And it's like, come on. Well, uh, but and just as devil's advocate, the maybe the reason they did that is because actually a lot of what we knew about nostalgia came from the supplemental materials and not from the actual show itself. So maybe that was for like people that are totally not reading the PDPedia and stuff like that. Maybe. You know, like, that, that's the only my only because that's the, the, all the effects of nostalgia and what it actually does. We gleamed from that pdpedia files we didn't glean that from the actual episode last week i mean I they think. they talk about what those pills are when when uh you know wade has the conversation with his ex who works in the lab who kills the puppy yeah they For, explain oh, what God, they are and me. why you're not supposed to take <laughs> someone else's memories uh yeah. and how it's illegal like they make that all abundantly clear so and she yeah. says and and tell your girlfriend not to take these if there's someone else's so we we understand there's a risk we understand what they do they understand it's illegal like what else is there to re-explain? I don't No, it was it I, I it was clunky. It felt clunky to me. I, I agree. But it was it was, you know, minor infraction for this episode. By the way, just briefly, you mentioned the the, the scene with the incinerating of the puppy uh last episode. You you sent that uh meme to me, which was the uh baby Yoda being put into that incinerator, which is just the most upsetting possible oh yeah there's, there's no labels on it too so you just have to be somebody who's keen on like hip new shows that yeah. recognizes the incinerator from Watchmen <laughs> and obviously recognizes baby Yona from Mandalorian and it's just it's not even like the baby like even knows what's happening like you know some of the shots of Mandalorian the baby Yoda kind of like knows there's danger but in this the way they photoshop the picture of it's just like there's no sense of Oh, whatever there's no brutal. caption I was just, people were fucking dying for that i was like father i sense danger <laughs> like <laughs> you're about to hear about it <laughs> fucking oh, man. pager actually do uh, plays the mandalorian on the show for people that haven't been watching tweeted about how much he loves Watchmen. uh so you know it, it's it's a cool time that we have two awesome shows like that on the air at the same time uh, and we're reviewing both of them so you know 
Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I, I love Pedro because he's he's a a big fan of the. A lot of people like they'll be on a show and they never watch the show. They just yeah, don't ever. They're, they're not like connoisseurs of, of the show that they're on or of other shows. And uh, you know, we we did a whole season review of season eight of Game of Thrones, which we actually fucking loved we thought it was amazing we go in a lot of detail on that it's on our soundcloud page uh i think a lot of people on the show they might not have been like the you know it didn't go the way they wanted their character to turn out but they still understood how much work went into it right and then all these just like piss you know whinging fans be like oh it didn't john didn't sit on the throne he didn't get the you know it wasn't the danny dessert you know it's like it's a hamartian tragedy it's not gonna turn you know if you thought this was yeah. a ha- gonna have a happy ending you weren't paying attention and I love that, that Pedro Pascal, who plays a Mandalorian, just got sick of it. And he's just like, hey, you know what? If you don't like the ending, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like he just and also he, played the Viper, uh, Oprah Martell on Game of Thrones for people of that course, didn't yeah. watch, you know. Um, um, but yeah, I, just, I love when, when, when actors like they don't put out that super whole, like, of, Oh, yeah. we have to respect the fans. It's just like, no, they're we did the work. They just consumed it. Right, and if all they're gonna do is whine, Jason Momoa is like that too a little bit. He he's he was like really good, although he was he was bummed out about Danny that. But that's just him like playing on his, you know. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a total homer for Danny and and um and Cal Drogo. So it's it's like you know, but he he loved it too. I think that the you know most of the season. Uh, but yeah, so let's let's get back into this episode. Um, what do we got here? So, um. We see a, uh, you know, in that little, the couple little flashes before um, she fully slips in, we actually see a shot it looked like of, of Will taking off the hood, his hood of justice. So that was like a, you know, again, it was like, it, this was like the most obvious mystery in the world, I think, if you really paid attention to context and, you know, dug into the, the kind of materials. Um, but uh, obviously it becomes significantly more clear as the episode goes on. Um, the first scene we get, uh, significant scene we get in her, in her nostalgia trip is, uh, Will being sworn in as an NYPD, uh, officer and, uh, you know, just right off the bat, typical NYPD goes down the line, gives everyone a medal, says, you know, good job, son. You're going to be careful. Whatever he says to them, uh, totally skips over Will entirely. And the, uh, black Lieutenant has to go over and pin Will's medal on him, uh, and by the way, the the black lieutenant's apparently based on a real uh, person who was the NYPD's first black lieutenant. Uh, so I, you know, they, they they like to tie interesting aspects of real history into this uh, narrative that they've weaved on this on this season on the series. Uh, but he mentions to him, you know, beware of the Cyclops. Uh, and right. we don't at the time don't know what the I actually thought he said Cyclones at first. So I was, I was like, what? Cyclones doesn't want doesn't want him to go to, to to Coney Island. What the fuck's he talking about? Yeah. Um, but well, the first but thing yeah, I so thought was when he says that is the the eye symbol with the Doctor Manhattan ring helium or hydrogen atom ring around it that uh, Looking Glass sees painted on the inside of this this um, Seventh Cavalry compound. Mm-hmm. He goes yeah. in, you see that giant, you know, like what the fuck is that? So you know, clearly <clears throat> they think obvious that you know kkk has been around forever uh and then in this episode we see this 19 you know 1930s 1940s uh you know sort of police offshoot terrorist group called um you know the the i almost said cyborg the uh uh cyclops, cyclops. Right. 
Yeah. And then, you know, in modern times, they're called Seven the Cavalry. So we, we know that these little white supremacist groups have all those little outshoots. It's not some like, oh, which, so, how is this one connected to that? Like, it doesn't really, I don't know if it means all that much. Um, no, they like to, they, they think they fucking sound cool with these goofy ass fucking names that they come up with, you know, right. for themselves. Like the, you know, identity Europa and the you know, American identity, like all this fucking nonsense. They, sure. it, but they're, yeah, they're, they're a, they're a club, bunch of fucking yeah. nerds playing dress up. Like they, they literally have yeah. titles like, grand wizard and grand cyclops like um funny side note real quick about the kkk in this era and an interesting thing a couple people picked up on so in the 19th so superman you know for as much as people shit on the character and i think people have done a real injustice to the character in terms of their adaptations uh superman was created in the 30s by two jewish guys uh and the uh early stories had superman especially the early radio serials uh were written about superman fighting the kkk like that was the big enemy of superman in the early like radio serial drama days and the two uh writers of the of the serials uh managed to get their hands on a lot of materials from the clan like their their official guidebooks and all this shit where they would mention you know just all this goofy shit about grand dragon and grand wizard and the fucking red robe versus the white robe versus like all this like cosplay nonsense that they were doing back then. And a lot of uh, historians actually credit that with the kind of decline of the clan in the thirties and forties because of how uh, stupid and childish the Superman serials made them seem, um, <laughs> yeah. which is, which is really funny. And, and, and it's sure. Well, there was um, all kinds of like weird occultish, you know, the, you know, different robes for different levels. Like it just, it was all just, you know, to, to create this hierarchy of, you know, initiation. Uh, but yeah. Well, but so the interesting thing about the, this Watchmen universe is because there were real life heroes um, in the Watchmen universe, you know, who knows how uh, much the, like comic superheroes actually took off. Like if that even became a thing, because there was, a much more compelling real life version for people to look at. So well, I wonder if that kind of show happened. with, with the Watchmen, with the, with the pirate comics is that because there's real life superheroes, no one cares about superhero comics. Exactly. And they all read pirate comics. Yeah. So maybe that's um, why the seventh cavalry is so much stronger than the modern day clan, because there was never any serial to come along and make yeah. them look stupid. You know, like that's an interesting kind of world building aspect. Um, and, and even in this episode, there's uh at a you know will comes across a newsstand some guys reading action comics 27 which is the first uh appearance of superman so it's just like you know i, I think that that's there intentionally and that 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 kind of illusion sure. is is certainly uh you know keying to that but um you know just real layers there's one other sort of uh preview reference to the cyclops and it's you know when he's when he's being interrogated when the the you know the blue-eyed black hair white uh american hero story version of uh of our hero of hood of justice is taking his, his his hood off and it seems like he's consenting to have his photo taken you know like he's willing to be blackmailed until he can get this this film footage back to the fbi when that cop puts the camera up to his eye to take a picture that camera lens is huge on the front of that thing and it's almost like his whole and his eyes disappear behind the camera, and now it's just one eye in the middle of his head. And that's when he fucking punches him right in that eye, yeah. right where the camera is. Basically punches the camera into his head and knocks him into the wall, uh, almost as a reflex. Like, he was kind of going to go along with it. And as soon as that, you know, 
mm-hmm. kind of saw like a literal Cyclops there. He just couldn't not yeah. punch it. Uh, and I think they even do like one brief flashback to that later on in the episode to kind of, uh, you know, allude to that. I could be wrong because I, I haven't watched it multiple times yet like I normally have. But uh, just another little visual thing. Like maybe maybe those FBI guys were part of this group as well. Maybe it wasn't just local police. It was FBI also. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, yeah. So from there, we uh, we got a, c- a scene of Will at the jazz club with uh, who we originally think is just a local reporter that he's friendly with. Um, obviously, later we find out that that's June, his wife. Although at, at this point, I think this is earlier in his life. I don't think they're actually married yet, but clearly what we find out dating. yeah yeah well what we find out later in the episode is that they've known each other their entire lives basically because this is the little girl that will yeah. uh save from the tulsa massacre which you know a little little weird um but you know whatever i mean i won't judge him it was a different time you know, grow grew up to be best friends and then friends turning into friends with benefits and then you have a kid together yeah i mean he was only uh, like I, six when he found I, the, the age difference is not that big it's really not a big deal no. it's just you um, know the the idea of like he found her as a as an infant and and cared for her is a little strange but i mean he again he's only six years I, i'm older, sure maybe. he took her to another town and someone else took care he didn't like it he yeah didn't i'm sure he didn't like live by himself <laughs> he didn't go uh, get a job at the coal mines and you know fucking, well I, I like that it was also like another another superman reference where you know he's this uh caped crusader uh who his girlfriend is a reporter for a newspaper like oh yeah i didn't pick up on that just this, yeah. laying it on thick this episode certainly with the, with the superman uh references um yeah so we see him there then we see him uh in another scene walking the beat uh he comes across this uh big fat mustache guy who throws a uh molotov cocktail through the window of a jewish deli um, he doesn't even throw it. He's just kind of like, like, oh, like, hey, it. there's a cop. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to walk down this alleyway now. Like, just like he he knows that nothing's going to touch him. Right. Um, yeah. So they arrest him. Or he, you know, he, he follows after him. He's like, what the fuck's your problem? Blah, blah, blah. He arrests him. Um, brings him back to the station. Uh, and, you know, the guy immediately tries to, you know, use his, use his white card to, to get out of arrest but but one of the officers says oh no you know, like he it, it, it confused me for a minute because he really you know he stands up to him he's like would you just call our fellow officer because he called him i don't even remember spook or some shit he called him some racist um but, but quick sidebar by the way you know and i get that it was an all or well i'm sure there were there were black people in the writer's room but i get that it's a white showrunner it, it did seem slightly conspicuous to me that there was not a single n-word in this episode and i'm not saying like go full Tarantino and make it every other word. But like it, it, it almost struck me as like pseudo unrealistic that, that like that guy wouldn't have called him the N word, you know, like, and I, I mean, it, it, you're damned if you do it, damned if you don't as a writer do in a show. And there's a lynching, a literal lynching in this episode. Yeah, oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, I don't you think know, you need yeah. to throw the N word in there to drive the point home. Uh, of what this world is it just um, it struck me as like when you see a tv show where they can't fully curse so they'll say shit a lot you know like where it's like eh. it, it, i figured hbo they would just go all up but I, that could have been a conscious choice too for lindelof being like look you know even though i have a black uh writer i think writing this episode uh several black writers on staff i still am the showrunner 
I don't want to make it look like I'm Quentin Tarantino having the N word as every other. Well, we word don't know what the, fucking... the conversation was. Maybe he, he said in interviews where there was things he wanted to do, and the writers were like, "Nah, it's a bad idea." Well, so yeah, that, that's true. Maybe, maybe somebody in the writers like, room hey, was you like, know "Yeah, what I should do, do that. go full Tarantino," and they were like, "Nah." <laughs> you know, I'd be interested uh, to, to ask him that though. But yeah, but in, in any event, I don't think it's it's huge. But it it, it occurred to me. I was like, oh, that they're tr- they're coming up with a lot of colorful, like semi acceptable, but obviously slur, like semi acceptable to say on television, but obvious slurs to get around saying the n word. Like that's what it felt like at times. Right, this is also me. a very surreal trip that Angela's on. You know, sure, it goes sure. almost like full Michelle Gondry where. Uh, you know, when he thinks that this guy he arrested is going to, to be in the jail, he walks out the door and the door is not even where the building is. It's across the street and it's at night, it's daytime, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. like he's just sort of teleported into another time, we think. But then he sees this guy walking down the street who's clearly been released because he's, you know, he's a white guy. Uh, and he walks right back in there saying, what the fuck? And it's nighttime again, right? So the, the, the barriers of what's real and what's not you know, the exact words they're saying, I don't think are as important as the the sense that she's seeing these things as memories, not necessarily how every little detail actually went down. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the, the fucking, the booking officer is like, look, I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to help you. Uh, you know, he's like, well, what was that symbol where he, you know, did like the, the, the yeah, well, that was okay the conspicuous thing. Yeah, he put thing, his hand yeah. on his forehead. Circle. He's like, that's going to be the bullet in your head if you don't stop asking questions. And you're, you're like, yeah, these guys, these, these, <laughs> these aren't just racist cops. These guys are fucking KKK, and they're going to kill them. Uh, yeah. And they give them one warning, and you know, you realize like there's nothing, there's nothing it can do. There's nothing. Can well, do and about they don't even, and they really don't even. They give him a warning, but presumably they just decide like right after because the next scene we see is him walking home and uh the white cop you know pulls up next to him uh and it's like hey you want to go out for a beer you know blah, 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 like uh trying to get him to get in the car and will clearly sniffs it out and it's like no nah, I'm, I'm good I'll, I'll just walk home i'm good and he's like all right next time um and then so you get a brief respite from it and you think oh I'm all right well clearly they're they have mean him harm but he he maybe he they didn't want to grab him off the street you know figure somebody will see and then immediately he walks down an alley and they whip around the corner and you're like, oh, fuck. Well, yeah, this now this is happening, obviously. Um, I like the I like the line from the the main racist guy. He's like, yeah, later. And another time is not going to work for us. Like, he's just like, like says it as though he had good intentions. Yeah, just such a dick. Him. Just revels in being such a. Oh, by the way, just another real, you know, uh, not foreshadowing, but obvious thematic connection to make uh, is as the cop car pulls away after he says another time it's dragging uh bodies behind it which was you know the the kind of bleeding in uh memory from the tulsa massacre bleeding into the memory of of this interaction Mm -hmm. but it's no coincidence that's being dragged behind the cop car i mean that's obvious thematic uh foreshadowing for Um, sure yeah you remember all the people that said this was a pro cop show (laughs) yeah i know right it's a super super pro cop they're they're depicted uh very very respectfully and 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 you know it it, it, very much from their perspective no it's preposterous so um yeah so he walks around the corner they they you know beat the shit out of him uh i figured maybe they'll, they'll just kill him but it's even worse they uh bring him to a tree throw a noose around his neck throw a hood on his head and uh lynch him and you know it's it's uh, this is what i i gotta say one of the most unsettling 
shots I've ever seen on a television show is they actually show you the first person perspective of Will like under the hood as he's being pulled up on the street. And it was like such a moving, incredibly like upsetting visual. Um, and it's obviously there's taking great care when they show Judd later to not show you it from Judd's point of view, you know, that, but they, but Lindelof really wanted you to see Will's point of view as this was happening to him. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with the, the audio, and yeah, with the, the audio the of him camera, like gasping, and yeah, oh god, they toned it way down though. They could because if that's if that's like your oh, it could have been worse perspective. Yeah. It would. I mean, the camera could have been the way shakier, uh, way more violent. Uh, you know, the sounds you were hearing could have been much more violent. Like I think they probably t- tested it out and were like, "There's only we can't it's go too, too far with this because <laughs> it's it, way too it, upsetting." It, it could really it could trigger a lot of people like they just, they, you know, we got to make this seem real so that you're aware of what kind of violence, you know, what kind of terrorism this is, but we can't make it so uh, subjective that people start fainting in mass, you know, uh, we got we got to wait until they flash a strobe light in their eyes, and then they'll faint. Have a seizure. yeah. Then we'll wait till we give them an epileptic seizure halfway through the episode because they missed yeah, the two second you know disclaimer at the beginning. I'm sure, of the there episode. was a discussion in the boardroom of like, what's the percentage of people that can go to the hospital from this episode, and we can reasonably <laughs> not get sued for it. Yeah. Oh well, hey, we put it at the beginning. So if you went out of the room to get a drink right before the episode started, uh, tough shit for you. <laughs> Talk to the boys um, in legal, and they said we're good so <laughs> but but i mean and even the toned down version is is just horrific and incredibly harrowing um to you know to to experience and to watch uh and you know they cut him down at the end it was obviously a, a, an extremely advanced severe warning of like you do this again we'll we won't cut you down um and i'm actually surprised they didn't just hang him but i guess maybe they figure that that would be a big uh investigation if they did have to deal with that like not you know internally obviously but it would bring it would bring some national attention that like one of the first black officers in the nypd was lynched uh you know and it it, it certainly i think the only reason they didn't kill him is because they didn't want to have to deal with that like i'm sure you know well they also don't want to have to deal with arresting uh you know black civilians later on they're like hey you go deal with these people they're your people you need to talk we, to them. Like, there would they, be riots so much if they, that happened. Yeah. Well, they, they they just despise black people so much they they would rather have a black cop deal with with arresting oh, black oh, people. Oh, I see what you mean. They don't. Yeah, yeah. They don't like they they can do this to him, and now they think, okay, he's our slave now. He'll do whatever we tell him to do as a cop, right? Yeah. And we control him now. So it was it was putting him back in the place they wanted him, whereas just killing him would you know cause more problems for them than it would solve. Certainly, uh, yeah. But I mean, the, the big the big reveal is that they haven't showed anything from Angela's perspective for a long time, for about 10 minutes now. And when they, cut, when they cut Will down, it cuts from the, the, the first person perspective inside that hood to that body hitting the ground. And you're looking at it and it's Angela. It's the first time you've seen mm-hmm. her and she's fucking gasping for air. And that's the real, you know, like she's she's feeling all the, you know, the pain and, and obviously the terror of this moment. Um, but also it's, it's becoming her own memory now, right? It's, it's, you know, and they made that very clear with, you know, you take these memory pills and it's not just you experience the memory, but you 
you confuse their that memory with your own. You can forget who you are, forget right. reality. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, just just really uh, jarring. Um, even mm. I think for anyone, mm. especially somebody who uh, has had this kind of thing happen to your ancestors, uh, it's yeah. I mean, I I, I read a lot of a lot of people's reactions online on Twitter. There was, I think, you know, 99% of the responses I saw from black people were like, this is so important. This is so amazing. This is wonderful that they're showing this. Uh, and there was about 1% where it was like, they need to have multiple <laughs> like trigger warnings throughout this episode because this shit is traumatizing. People don't understand how traumatizing it is to see even fictionalized portrayals of stuff like this when it's really happened to people you know. Yeah, Um so it's incredibly upsetting uh, and, and you know, uh, graphic. But so then that was, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the kind of inception of, of, of Hooded Justice because he does keep the noose and the hood. Um, you know, not keeps it, but it's just on him as he's walking home, bloodied and battered. Um, <clears throat> and he, you know, is walking down this alley and he sees uh, this couple, this white couple uh, being mugged by like a bunch of other, you know, white dudes. Um, and in that moment, you know, Hood of Justice is, is, is born it was, it's kind of his, his Batman origin story where he, he becomes, you know, becomes the vigilante. He, you know, rips some holes in the eyes, uh, to protect his identity and he goes in, just kicks the shit out of these guys. Uh, and again, like, you know, I mentioned that the, the action earlier in this, um, or, you know, early in the episode, I mentioned how great the action is. Uh, inside the actual story, inside the actual memories versus the the goofy, over-the-top, gratuitous American hero story stuff. I just think it was really well choreographed and shot. It just felt very realistic, but also just very um, cinematic at the same time. Like, I, I think John Wick, like, that fighting style came to mind, you know? It was, like, a really mm. well-done fight, court, like, stunt coordinator, fight coordinator came in and put all this shit together, it seemed like to me. Yeah, and you see him like punch a guy and he's down, and then punch another guy and he goes down, and then he's you know he's fighting with another guy for a while, and then that guy goes down, and then the other two guys are back up again. It's like, but he already punched them once. Yeah, yeah, you don't just die when you when you get punched, you know, in real life. No, and especially if you're you know pumped full of adrenaline and you're a guy and you think you're tough, like you're just like I'm not gonna fucking stop fighting until I physically can't sit up anymore. Like that's how guys get when they fight. Um, I mean, go online and watch any two rednecks get in a fight at a gas station. Like, they're, they're like crawling on their knees still trying to get up and fight each other. It's like, fucking yeah. lay down, guy. Uh, yeah. But yeah, very, very Bruce Wayne uh, well, and- kind of a thing. Um, there was another, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit later on, but there was this, you know, a lot of people talked about sort of the, the Superman origin a lot of Batman uh, of, too. Of uh, you know, Batman obviously, um, but there's 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 a, a, sort of a one of the things that uh, Rorschach said that I want to get to later on. So don't let me forget. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and just you know, to, speaking quick to the Batman aspect of it, Bruce Wayne had two kind of formative moments, like when his parents were killed, which was the you know underlying trauma, which which caused him to to hide his face behind a mask uh which is you know what laurie talked about with angela in the car the kind of tr- childhood tra- or just trauma that 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 causes them to do what they do 
Uh, and then the inciting incident that really propelled him into the adult a life of vigilantism, which, you know, for Will was his attempted lynching. So the Tulsa bombing was his inciting trauma. And then the lynching was, was the inciting incident as the adult, which caused him to I'm give up on. Not really disagree with you, but add to it later on when we get to it. Sure. Uh, but what, what was the second incident for Batman though? Falling down the, the, the hole and the bats flying around. Um, uh, well, no, I, I think there was, there was a couple, I mean, him, you know, almost killing Joe Chill. I mean, again, this depends on if we're talking comic Batman or movie Batman, but, um, there's certainly, you know, several inciting incidents in the comics, like him almost like trying to kill Joe Chill and then realizing like, you know, there's a lot of stuff, especially in year one with the cops and the mob being so like tied in together. So it's uh that plus his training plus fi- finding the bat cave and you know that the formative moments and things all like right, that. All right, so there's but, not a, there's not one single one, but yeah. All right. So the um yeah, I t- I mean to me at least from what's portrayed on you know in in the show 4 or 5 year old will doesn't really react to the stuff. Like it's not a formative moment uh until much later on once he understands what he saw. Yeah, once he, he contextualizes he it. Yeah, he's not like screaming, crying. Doesn't like he's he's just kind of like accepting whatever's happening because he's five, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say that's not a formative moment, at least not yet. But there well, is another I mean, big formative yeah. moment, uh, and obviously the you know lynching is is huge. Um, you know his, his girlfriend slash future wife already knows he's angry. You know when he says, "I don't want to do all in the past," she's like, "Yeah, that's why you're angry." You know because you haven't well, yeah, dealt so- in the past. I think she she recognizes that it that it is deep seated trauma that he's not fully come to grips with, you know, from from witnessing the Tulsa massacre. Um, so it's not, I guess, it's not immediate, but you know, traumas trauma can be a lot of different, take a lot of different forms. So I think it's more of a repressed, uh, undealt with trauma in Will's case. You know, with the could, Tulsa could take the form of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, basically. Um, yeah. So, um, but so then we he comes home and he says, "All right, you know, now I'm angry." Uh, you know, comes home from the from the lynching and from the vigilante justice they just dealt out, uh, and that was you know obviously uh, him saying like, "All right, I'm right." I, I realize that th- I'm not going to fucking find any salvation in in the law or in in becoming part of this system that allowed for i mean that you know the cops were involved with the white you know uh terrorists from from uh the tulsa massacre i mean they were they were part of that the terrorist group that fucking right. you know bombed that that uh street black wall street with with biplanes dropping by like so they, they were fucking when his part girlfriend of that, so. sort of pushes him towards this i love that what she does is not ask him to recall <laughs> the trauma but she keeps asking him to recall the movie that he saw uh, as a child that he watched over and over and over um, yeah. about the, the, the Bass Reeves character yeah. who was this very, uh, you know, lawful, good version of justice. Uh, even as though she, she's asking him to remember that as she's pushing him to become a mask vigilante, she thinks it's going to help him, but she wants him to still be like the most lawful, good vigilante possible to prevent him from just totally going off the rails because she does know how angry he is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's, I love the way they shot that scene too, where he's recalling the movie and it's like projected on the wall 
you know, yeah. behind them as, as part of his memory, which was great. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we see him painting the white around his eyes, confirming what we kind of speculated on uh, as to why he appears in white in the comics and in and American hero story. Although, you know, obviously that, that portrayal is not to be trusted. Um, but in the comics, what you know, when we see him, uh, he has white around his eyes. Um, from there, we, we, uh, we see him out, you know, patrolling in his full hood of justice regalia. Uh, he finds, uh, what's his face? Uh, the, the, the fat butcher guy owner, um, who has, has this warehouse, this, you know, this meat packing warehouse, uh, mm, you're jumping and- way ahead. That's not what happens. Am I ju- oh God. wait so what oh no he okay no no first i got it i got it i got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. yeah yeah that's that's my i i have him i have him finding a clan meeting i'm mixing up my clan meetings yeah so okay so yes that's what happens the uh so he finds this um you know he he finds this uh clan meeting where where they're they're uh he basically kicks the shit out of them. He finds a, a list of cities. He finds a book on mesmerism. Um, you know, you're not quite sure what the hell's happening there. Um, and it's in the back of, as you said, this this sure. uh, butcher shop or produce store. Well, he he didn't he didn't know he was going to find that. He was trailing the guys that lynched him, and they were in the, yeah. like, their civilian clothes. They weren't dressed as cops. We know that they were cops. And they go into it's not quite a warehouse, but it's like a you know kind of back alley, whatever. And as soon as he breaks in the door, they're all in their clan robes. So that's that's yeah. just like bam. Okay, now we're just like fuck them up. I don't care what <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and we get like the first really long continuous um, fight scene where there's no cuts at all. Uh, and he basically once he kicks all their asses, uh, I think one of them finally pulls a gun and he runs. And suddenly he's in the the front of the produce store, and you realize like oh this is this is what's what really happened not him jumping in to, to stop robbery, but him fleeing from the KKK. And we see the, you know, the fat, the fat guy he arrested is like the store owner. So yeah. instead of Which him, is- uh, you know, trying to stop the robbers from robbing the owner uh, in, in the fictional version, the real criminal is the store owner in this version. Yeah. And, and we see him in a total like reverse of that shot from the American hero story. He dives out the window instead of into the window and the exact same like slow-mo, you know, shot, which I, which was a kind of fun inverse, but, uh, and it also points to why besides just being a racist that the, uh, mustache guy threw the Molotov through into the Jewish deli's window, because that's probably his competition coupled with the fact that they're Jewish and he doesn't, you know, he's a fucking Nazi, you know, Klansman. Right. Um, but, but that's, but that also sheds light as to why it wasn't just a random, like, you know, it was, it was for him, it was a double, you know, it had double uh, meaning. For sure. Um, well, and that's, but, that's the moment where it freeze frames. I love, they do like the, you know, like uh matrix, uh, Zack Snydery, you know, yeah through the window yeah multiple cameras which they didn't i'm sure they didn't actually do it with like as many multiple cameras as you're led to believe because you would have seen all the cameras because they they basically sure. like break the wall of what would be possible with that effect and you realize at a certain point they are doing it digitally 
Uh, again, just like is is Lindelof really just trolling his friend Zack Snyder, or are they just really not friends? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're really friends, but because um, later on there, there's several like kind of digs at Snyder in this episode for sure. Um, yeah, but and again, you know, we see the the list of cities, the book on mesmerism. Uh, you know, at first we don't know what the fuck that's about. Uh, obviously, later on we learn what that was about. Um, but this was clearly a meeting of the of the Cyclops. Uh, clan a group of the of the kkk you know offshoot um so uh you know he comes he comes home uh and there's uh this blonde haired white guy waiting to meet with him uh he is uh you know is talking about how he represents dr metropolis and he wants to recruit uh hooded justice to join the minutemen he thinks that will you know he's deduced basically that he, i don't know if he's actually deduced that will himself is Put a justice, or if he deduced oh, that he, he knows is. him. Well, he, I mean, the way he plays it is like, oh, well, you know, I, I think you certainly are. If you're not him, you're certainly helping him by giving him these targets, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But sure, but that's because you know, the we, fucking girlfriend's sitting right there, and it's yeah. just obvious. And he has they have to pretend that you know because they're 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 not just concealing their secret identities; they're also concealing that they're you know homosexual or, or bisexual. So there's that whole dynamic yeah. playing out at the same time too, which is all just the, you know, that, the, that subtext of what's going on, which he clocks immediately right under I guess. <laughs> which uh, I don't really you know, know how he did from that meeting, but what, you know, whatever, I guess maybe that is just a, Oh, just it a was feeling you get. It was more about the homosexuality than it was about the superhero shit. I just, no, I know. But, but, but he seemed to know that immediately without even before will even said much to him. So it was just an interesting, you know, maybe that's his superpower is that he just has like an extremely attuned gaydar. I don't know. I I think if it's the 1940s and fifties and there's no, uh, you know, socially acceptable in public outward uh, displays of homosexuality, you would get really good at picking up on where it was. Uh, Yeah, I I guess. So, and obviously there's that shot where he hands him the card and there's that lingering shot of his hand over Will's hand. And it's like, oh, well, they're certainly alluding to that. Uh, And and I wrote, I took a note like, oh, well, I guess they're alluding to the fact that they may have had a relationship. And the next scene is them literally, you know, just hardcore fucking. uh, Well, his girlfriend, you know, she says no, understanding full well what they're going to do knowing that he's he's bisexual and is at least somewhat okay with it that it's within the range of possibility that she can say no not i'm getting my things and leaving um but it cuts from her saying no to (laughs) you know you're wondering like (laughs) what's where they just smash cut to uh you know butt fucking now do you i mean do you 100 do i think what well, I was going to say, I, I thought it was f- ambiguous as to whether or not she knew the full extent of that versus just, no, I don't want you to join these these fucking, you know, these whiteies uh, in, oh, in no, their quest to, to tokenize you. As I mean, the their camera one. panned up from their hands touching to her looking at their hands touching. So, of course, she knows. She's not yeah, fucking dumb. Right, she knows him better than he knows himself in, in many ways. Right. So so not only do they have like a you know somewhat open relationship where she's at least tolerating that but still expressing disapproval uh, that, you know, it's basically, you know, he's, he's bisexual and it's a polyamorous relationship, semi open. Um, But still there's, there's an expectation of once they have a kid together, that he's still going to be a good father, which he, he struggles with that more than anything. So, yeah, I mean, there's like multiple levels of, you know, here are taboo aspects of relationships that they're, 
presenting as um, normalized, at least to these people, but still difficult to navigate because we're all human. Sure. And jealousy, you know, crops up and things like that. And um, I think I think her no is more just to like this guy's playing you. Yeah, well, that's was that was too. that was what I kind of that was the kind of vibe I got. I was like, don't trust this fucking guy. He's he looks like a you know, like a vacuum salesman. Like he's just yeah, very. Well, he looks like a like a, uh, a a a used car version of Adrian Veidt. You know, yeah, like, no, he very much he very much Veidt vibes. And you later learn that he was you know friendly with Adrian Veidt. So you know, it's it's not yeah. Um, it's not unwarranted that he's kind of that. Well, and and it, it, obviously, if anything, Adrian Veidt was much more, uh, you know, honest about who he was. Whereas this guy sure. is like, just, you know, he cons you into fucking him and joining the team. And then five minutes later, he's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're a bench warmer. Sorry. You're just here for yeah. the publicity. <laughs> yeah, no, basically. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not at all serious about about ending the clan. We we see the first um, kind of press conference that they give with Hooded Justice uh, as a member of the team, and you know he he's asked some questions and he starts to go into the the Cyclops conspiracy, and then Metropolis cuts him off immediately and was like, oh well, no, we you know the real serious issue here is Moloch and his his death ray where he's going to harness energy from the you know just real goofy over the top. Uh, superhero shit and you know it's immediately obvious to will that these people are not serious about fighting crime that this is much more an image thing and then immediately pulls off uh a sheet on a on a canvas board and it's like an ad that that the Minutemen did for for uh the national bank so it's like you know <laughs> it's no, clearly really like a racist ad too it was like it was like a like minstrel show caricature of a of a black person as a criminal yeah. being caught by dollar bill who was basically just like did all this stuff as a spokesperson for this national mm-hmm. bank uh yeah. which was actually the same bank that uh, Lori blake catches the uh the low rent batman in was uh the, the same bank but yeah i mean clearly they this was sort of alluded to alan moore alluded to this but like you know even more than uh you know the 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 non-existent or short-lived crime busters and later on the watchmen uh the minutemen really didn't care about crime at all like night night owl did night owl one uh you know silhouette apparently when they did the the before watchmen spinoff in like the 90s or whenever that was uh they fleshed out her character who was 2000s was it yeah Yeah. it was very disillusioned that it was all about publicity and marketing and and not really anything else and of course comedian knew it was all a joke all along and didn't care uh so there was only like like a like a handful of people within the minutemen that really wanted to solve real crime uh hooded justice apparently uh, the most among them who was the you know of course it's like just like rock and roll you know just like rap music you've you've got somebody who creates the genre of superheroes who's a black person out of trauma and a need for self-preservation and immediately a bunch of white people sign up because they want the fame and fortune of it and don't care about solving real fucking crimes. Yeah. And just appropriate it for, and, and do it in a less, in a less real way <laughs> to, you know, to, to their, uh, you know, to, to, to profit essentially. Um, but yeah, so, um, we so then from there we go to the scene uh where where will is is back in uniform uh and he <clears throat> arrives on the scene of this uh, on, on the scene of a, at the scene of a crime basically at this movie theater 
Um, and yet, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, he walks up and the white cop goes, oh, hey, why don't you go, you know, go in and deal with them? And he just says a bunch of like old, like racist white guy tropes about like, oh, well, you put a bunch of animals in a cage and blah, blah, blah. all this, you know. Oh, yeah. He said, uh, he says, well, what happened here? And the racist cop says the same thing that happens anytime you put a bunch of animals in the cage. Yeah, that's what he said. And um, it, it was such a great, you know, like, like reference point to kind of more in modern history, this very racist view that people in the suburbs and police have that, uh, you know, anytime you have any kind of outdoor festival with a bunch of black people or a rap concert that, you know, automatically you're going to have a shooting. Right. And, and that's just what happens when, when, you know, those kinds of people get together is that they start shooting each other. Uh, so I, I love that kind you of see. what we, what we learn in this is that, uh, that, that at least in this world, or at least in in, in this scene, uh, that was no organic thing happening. Yeah, and well, and you know, and you see that I remember seeing or hearing that language a lot out of idiots. Even I, I, I even like had a screaming match with somebody I used to work with about this uh, during the Ferguson protests and saying like, "Oh, they acted like animals and all this shit." I'm like, "Yeah, great." Uh, yeah, when you show when you have the cops show up with a fucking tank rolling up like like the fucking Nazis, you know, rolling into rolling into Normandy, like you know, it's like what the fuck do you expect when you roll up with tanks and and guns and you know riot gear? What do you what do you think they're gonna fucking uh, greet you with with well wishes? No, you 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 immediately ratchet up the tension and the intensity of of the situation and the the um volatile nature well, of the situations immediately let's, escalated um, by you the fucking cops in that let's situation. look at las vegas two years ago where a guy bought a bunch of machine guns and from about 1500 feet away from the mandalay hotel started shooting mandalay, thousands yeah. of rounds into a country music west country western music concert <laughs> uh does should we be banning country music concerts now yeah, exactly i mean i i tend to think we should for other reasons but yeah no i mean <laughs> yeah. you know now some countries it's, not it's awful. Just, i mean that, that whole thing is obviously like that that was not those people didn't go there and like want to start shooting each other that was a guy who wasn't even in the concert who picked an outdoor festival where everyone was unarmed uh and couldn't even return fire if they wanted to because it was he was so far away with these high-powered rifles uh and of course you know they're all corralled into an area where they can't you know there's no cover they can't just jump over the wall and run away, right? Yeah, they're uh, all going to be penned and, in. And there was 20,000 people there, and people were like, what was the motivation? And I, th- I was like, that guy just wanted to break the record. He wanted to break yeah. the record for the most amount of people killed in a mass shooting, and he figured out the best way to do it when no one could ever you know, have anywhere to run. There'd be the most amount of people in a cage uh, and had no way to fire back because they all would have been disarmed going through metal detectors. And, you know, gun can't, you know, handguns not going to shoot 1,500 feet up in the air vertically. Uh, he just wanted to break the record and he did, you know? Yeah, but nobody, so, but, so. and nobody blames the concert goers for that one because they all happen to be white. Because they're all, yeah, because they're all white. <laughs> uh, I, I did see some, some fucking shit lib uh, liberals be like, well, that's what they get for being, you know, racist, redneck. Oh, country yeah. Music. That, and I was that, like, elitist no, fucking Nobody, they were reverse fucking, of that they're there to have a fucking good time listen to their fucking music whatever nobody was there to whatever uh, yeah no, I, I hate that shit um yeah no it's just, it's yeah it's the same shit that you see of like certain liberals who are like oh well if you live in a red state you deserve what you it's like no 
There are plenty yeah. of fucking like good people who are trapped in a state surrounded by morons and you know racist maniacs who have no say over it, and you just basically tell them that their lives are worthless, and you wonder why they don't vote at all for Democrats. They just stay home because you are fucking elitist and you don't actually appeal to those people. Like it's just, it, it's such a, a, a fucking backwards mentality in general to to write off any group of people whether it be you know black people or white people for like it, in that kind of a way you know what i mean like it's just such a, a backward shitty mentality for sure um it is yeah so he uh i, got, I lost where we were <laughs> oh so okay so no but so he shows up to the theater he goes in uh oh, this yeah. woman is you know kind of rambling we're not sure exactly what she's talking about um and uh he uh he he but he sees uh the what this this guy leaving with a camera leaving with a projector so he follows him uh back to uh real quick i mean it was hard to yeah. understand her because she's she, you know she's sobbing she's not it's hysterical, hysterical yeah. but it's, it's hard to understand her and i i didn't watch it with subtitles but you know just what i could understand was she was like well we were all in the theater uh watching the movie then there was this flickering light coming from the screen and you know, I heard a voice telling us to kill each other. Uh, and you could, you know, you could see it like some people were dead. Some people were like, you know, still in the theater, but, uh, you know, psychologically traumatized. And some people had already been dragged out and thrown in, in, the, in the paddy wagon. So it just it looks like chaos. And it's not clear exactly what, what transpired. What the fuck but yeah, there's, yeah, there's this guy who comes in there and takes a few pictures and it looks, I mean, at first I thought it was like he had a, a motion picture and he was like from the news, uh, like a motion picture camera. He was documenting what yeah. was happening. And then you notice that like that's that's not what he's doing. Something else is going on. And it's like he's retrieving equipment. Uh, and, and um, you know, uh, our, our hero Will. Will begins to follow him. Yeah. So he follows him and he fo- follows him back to... Uh this this i guess it was a warehouse I, I don't remember exactly what he walked in but it looked like a warehouse um uh where he uh, finds uh all of these these guys you know and and all of this equipment well you're skipping uh, you're skipping a big beat there what am i skipping well, once he realizes their this is their hideout this is the headquarters he makes a phone call oh no he find he finds the fat guy oh no yeah that's right that's right he makes the phone call he makes the First, phone call to his team, to Metropolis. Yeah, uh, to call for and backup because he's been told that it's always better to have a team than to fight alone. Yeah, yeah, and um, well, no, I'm sorry, but no, he kills the butcher before that, though, because he kills him right before he makes the phone call. No, um, no, he doesn't. I think that's the order I took the notes in, so I don't know how. All right, well, in any of, well, no, he he finds the guy, he shoots him. When he finds out no. it's his warehouse, and then he calls. Not true. He calls first once he knows. He follows the car with the guys with the cameras to the warehouse. He realizes that's their hideout. He gets on the phone to Captain Metropolis. Captain Metropolis says, mind control cameras, that's ridiculous. And we've got other things to do. Why don't you just come over here and hang out? You know, don't worry about this. We've got other things. And he gets pissed. He gets mad. And he hangs up the phone. And he smashes it over and over and over until the phone breaks, or it looks like it breaks. Oh, okay. And then the butcher walks standing there in the phone booth, and there's the fat guy with the mustache looking at him. 
uh, and just sort of like laughing at him in his, you know, he's in his police uniform still and he's having this emotional breakdown. He's just kind of like, look at this, you know, look at this. And uh, he opens up the door and he steps out and he doesn't really realize who it is yet. But he says, well, I know all the cops on this beat in this area and you're not one of them. So what are you doing here? And it's kind of amazing that he doesn't because how many black cops really are working for the NYPD in 1938 or whatever year it is? like it it just seems very odd to me that he would not recognize this guy that arrests I, like I get that the whole point was like oh he's so racist he thinks all black people look alike but also like is there more than one black officer on the NYPD at this point well uh, that's um, what I like is that it's ambiguous because we assume that he does recognize him uh, but again, we don't know how much time has elapsed. And also these are all like a jumble of memories that Angela is experiencing. So the continuity of, of time dilation is, hmm. is you know, it, it, things are fading in and out of each other. And we don't know if uh, this is exactly how things transpired or not either. But it, it's, I think it like once he does recognize him, that's when he says, oh, hey, I got a bunch of stakes over here at the in the warehouse you know, like he, you could tell he wants to bribe him with some of the, the, the meat at his meatpacking plant, or at least he's trying to like. He wants to lure him in there, I thought, to, to kill him, basically. Uh, I mean, I got the sense that he he knew this guy was there looking for him, and he could either bribe him or kill him. Either way, uh, well, the it, only reason it, it's a cue to, to Will that yeah. this, is, this is the big bad. This is the main bad guy and has been all along. Uh, and, and that's when he says, this is your warehouse. Like, cause he already knows it's the back of headquarters, but he's, he's confirming with the guy again, this is your warehouse. The guy's like, yeah, come on. And that was the moment right then that I knew we were going to have a headshot. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then he, sh- yeah, he shoots him right in the head. Um, right in the head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great shot. And it was, uh, it was cathartic. I was just like, yeah, no, me too. I, especially just like, yeah, and that was the first kind of time we see him. Uh, I, I think that was the first time we see him kill anyone in the episode because I, I don't think he killed anyone in the in the produce so shop. Initially. It's not. Or it's just, unclear. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't kill anyone there. He beats him pretty bad. He doesn't stab anybody. But it's, it's the Batman. Not, like, I don't kill anyone. I just beat them to within an inch of their right. life and they're or, in a coma for the Or the MacGyver <laughs> thing where he won't use a gun, but he'll make a bomb out of the gunpowder and blow someone's heart <laughs> off them with, up, a, yeah. with a fucking bomb that was inside yeah, the key yeah. of the lock of the door. Uh, so he, here's the thing. He knows that these, uh, you know, these guys are using some kind of mind control to turn black people against each other to murder each other in mass. Right, some kind of mass hypnosis. He knows that that's happening. He's seen the outcome. This woman has told him that's what's happening. He knows these guys are beyond the law. There's no one he can turn yeah. to to turn these guys in. The only thing he can do to stop the murder of potentially dozens or hundreds or thousands of more people is to kill these guys. He's not just getting revenge. This is not just hooded justice no, it's for a concerted for, decision. Is, yeah, yeah. It was like if if these guys are allowed to continue with their little, uh, you know, strobe camera recording studio, whatever the fuck they're doing, that clearly works. He's seen it working. Um, you know, like, when, when do I have this other chance to do this again? I've already been made. They already know I was here. I got to do this right now. And, you know, he's got this revolver. It's got six rounds in it. And you see that, it, you know, shoots the first one. Big fat man, right? 
drops his police hat, puts on the hood. Now he's a combination of hood of justice and his role as a police officer where he's not just going to use his fist. He's going to use his service revolver, uh, goes in there. We see there's five guys. So, you know, it's going to be like, okay, he's, he's going to have to shoot these guys in the head. And it was just like, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They, they didn't realize he was there first, and then they look up, and he he gets the jump on all of them. Still, just fucking perfect you know, shots, crack everyone. shot, uh, and, and all all in one. You know, no cuts, no edits, all one sequence. Just you know, <laughs> uh, and and you're rooting for it because these are terrorists who want to kill thousands of innocent civilians, and you know, there's million, no way they have that stopped. list of all those cities. Yeah, no, I mean they wouldn't they wouldn't stop if they could, right? They, I mean this is this yeah. is you know in America during the rise of Hitler, so they think that like oh hey we're gonna we're this party's gonna keep going on 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 both sides of the Atlantic, right? And they were having a fucking uh, I mean they had a Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden around this time, right around this time, and and I think in I don't know if it was thirty eight or th- it was in the thirties, I believe. Like right there was before multiple the, ones, yeah. I mean every time there was like there was Fourth, a one, Fourth of yeah. July parade, there would be Nazi flags going down um you know madison avenue and uh whatever other streets they do the uh, unbelievable you know, parades yeah and- it, it, it's so inconceivable to think of now how openly racist like people I, like I, I know it's not inconceivable because people are still openly racist but how like it, it, to, to rent out madison square garden for an event for a nazi rally seems so fucking batshit but like it was that that's how mainstream it was back in in that time to be like oh yeah well you know hey it's just a point of view and uh you know really really don't like jews really don't like black people um you know <laughs> even if they'd done all the things they did the nazis and we had somehow never gotten the war and it was just you know uh france and england and russia that defeated yep. the nazis we probably wouldn't look at the nazi flag as as being a thing in this country it really was just oh we got we got involved in the last couple of years so now they're you know terrible now now that flag is, is, is that's awful. why right-wingers yeah hate that flag because like you know it ideologically they are not far off from from, from the the germans of of the 30s and 40s uh i mean not now because <laughs> they had to they, pretend yeah, exactly. they were for a while but now they don't have to anymore exactly so it's it's just funny that that yeah that is kind of a reviled icon iconography versus you know confederate flag which they still cling to and and it's like well you know really not that different uh you know know, one group wanted to enslave these people and and use them for for free labor and one wanted to just exterminate them it's like you know both really fucking bad uh but one you claim is something to do with your heritage and one you reviles your heritage of losing wars uh they just they really they really want that participation trophy apparently yeah and this is of course the the group that complains constantly about how modern you know young people are pampered and just want participation trophies yet they literally you know stick participation trophies on the back of their pickup trucks and in their windows of their uh apartments and you know it just whatever you know just cognitive dissonance not a thing apparently god there was Um, just a little example of that yeah Uh, yeah. in the news this morning uh in in you know where i live at a university the body of a young woman was found in the back of her car strangled uh, a couple days ago a young black woman student um and they determined it was it was strangulation somebody had strangled her to death uh almost certainly male Almost certainly somebody who wanted her sexually, who she had turned down, because that's why men strangle women to death. Uh, and on, this is on Twitter. I'm reading this, and uh, 
the very first comment in response to it, right wing MAGA Trump uh, said, that's what happens in these in the cities when the Democrats and the liberals run things. So they turn into cesspools of crime. And so <laughs> like, somebody, somebody responded to them like, oh, great. The narrative already there, already here with your narrative. And then this crazy fucking right wing person responded. This is what happens when all the, the men on the left are pussies and can't fight. And, and hey, I, I, hey, I, res- I responded, I was like, murder women. That's what I was happens. Like, <laughs> I, no, I was just like, what, what fucking, what logic pretzel are you trying to make here? I was like, well, if the, the pussy leftist liberal soy boys can't fight, I guess we can scratch them off the list of murder suspects <laughs> for strangling a young woman to death. God, you fucking, fucking so insane dumb. person. Yeah, it, it's just like, yeah, literally any kind of crime that happens involving any black people, that's immediately to go to, well, you know, hey, you know, this happens in these black communities that are run by Democrats and they don't have guns and yet there's more murder there than anywhere. It's like just so many fact-free narratives that people push and it's like that you look at these people and you're like these people would so obviously be aligned with the, with the fucking idiots like these these cyclops morons like you know if if that were modern day uh and in a lot of cases they are just not you know they're not nearly as uh technologically savvy as as these guys were apparently uh they just walk around in in larping gear and and you know get their asses kicked by antifa <laughs> at a protest um but uh yeah yeah it, it's just so fucking stupid but so that that was uh, kind of the one thing about the whole um you know the clan is is uh using this stro- uh strobe hypnotism to yeah you know make black people turn on each other it, it was the only thing that i thought was a little problematic because it it sort of uh belies the actual uh socioeconomic causes of, of violence within communities of color usually because just the, the massive stress of systemic racism put on people, especially economic, uh, that within any community, you'll have crime between poor people on other poor people, right? So if you have a predominantly black community that's very poor uh, through little fault of their own, you're going to have crimes like that, right? Now, probably not just, you know, half the theater trying to kill the other half of the theater, as we see in this, but... The only reason it, you know, I could think it could have a, a bigger implication is, like you said, this was the beginning of a technology that's now being used on a larger scale for something that we don't know yet. That's bigger coming. Uh, you know, the Senator Kane Jr. is alluding to something much bigger, or or not the same. You know, or they're not going to drop a giant squid on Tulsa, but something else possibly involving teleportation. So- uh, and then also just you know the the sort of final scene we get with Will using this um, modern flashlight version of this to compel uh, the captain to hang himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and we'll get to that scene shortly. Um, but, and you know, it's interesting. A lot of, I don't know how much of this you've seen, but um, a lot of people theorize that, that, lady true and this is before we had any of this mind control shit even introduced weeks ago they were they were theorizing that the, her big plan is not to drop a squid but it's to drop basically uh an empathy bomb and like everything like the equivalent of what they would consider like an empathy bomb basically to eliminate this kind of racist ideology so and like you know everything that she's setting up with 
and I'm not saying I subscribe to the theory, but this is very prevalent, uh, like in the online theory uh, crafting community. And it's, you know, basically the, everything that she's setting up and we presume it has her hands in putting in motion the seventh cavalry where they're kind of puppets to this, this larger plan. And this is all of course, assuming that Judd and uh, Keen's plan is the same as uh, Lady True's plan. And, you know, it would be really, and Vite's plan also, you know, concurrently, it'd be really odd if they were all planning something to go off at the exact same time that were unrelated. So, I mean, you know, you can infer that, that it's all the same plan, uh, presumably. You, and, you really think the KKK plan is to sit off an empathy bomb? No, I think they're being, they're being used as useful idiots by True to craft that whatever technological means she needs this is why like i don't think we're gonna really know like people can theorize about this we're not gonna know until the shit actually happens in the finale but okay so are we ready to talk theory because i got let's get well we got we have the end let's get through the last couple scenes and then we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do a lot of theory uh talk uh so all right so um yeah, so he. I also love in that scene, as you mentioned, he had a six shooter, uh, and and he, you know, used all of his bullets, and then he walks. He finally finds this guy, uh, the kind of head Nazi uh, Klansman cop guy. Uh, very just had a very you know Nazi look to him, um, and he's recording the kind of subliminal messaging that they were using in this technology. He's like recording it live as as you know as he walks in there. He's got his headphones on, so he doesn't hear any of the shit going on behind him um which is kind of odd because i don't know what the hell he's listening to i presume he's just listening to feedback of his own recording yeah, uh, yeah so he's, be he's just monitored himself yeah it'd be weird for him not to hear guns but whatever i mean it's fine um but so okay so but and then he walks up on him and he tries to shoot him realizes he's out of bullets so he strangles him with the headphone wire i was disappointed um, i wanted them to to like break the rules and have magic seventh bullet just to see his brains explode <laughs> out through the front of his face. And that's just because they moved yeah. the, they, the camera like poles around to show the front of him. And I was, you, you, it looked like that's what they were setting up. And then it was like, oh. the strangulation but, off camera. Lame. <laughs> I thought they would actually struggle more, but you know, it, it, it was, it, it was nice to see him, but you know, it was kind of fitting. Cause that guy was the one who led the, the hanging of him, of will. And then, you know, in, in retribution, he hangs him with a, with a, a headphone wire so um yeah um all right so well that scene uh you know was great uh cathartic in a lot of ways for the episode that we that we kind of witnessed uh really harrowing episode in a lot of ways um and then he of course burns the warehouse down at the end and, of, and he flashes back to you know seeing the burning buildings in tulsa uh at that moment uh and uh and then we get the final kind of scene from the flashback or from the, from the nostalgia trip, uh, which is him uh, waiting for Judd, uh, you know, outside of his, his kind of house is whatever compound. And uh, we, oh, we real see quick, him. we, we kind of skipped yeah. over. It's not a huge beat, but it's, it's the, like the last thing where he comes home after killing these guys and, you know, his he's now a wife or oh, and mother, and mother of a child, him. you know, he's dressing up as him, which is harmless to the kid but he takes it as like no don't be like me and he's trying to clean his face and the mother like really overreacts and it's not really like that one moment but you can tell he's been like acting out or being uh you know angry towards the kid more than he should and the kid doesn't understand so it's like the, that one little moment's kind of the final straw meant to yeah. indicate there's been other shit going on so this is really where he's at rock bottom as far as like you know he, he's his own family was murdered 
in this massacre. Uh, you know, he joined the force to, you know, get some level of societal justice that way. That didn't work out because the force is all clan. He joins the superhero team or vigilante team because they say they're going to have his back. They don't have his back either. Uh, he goes goes on his own to kill the, these guys. And in doing so, or at least around the same time, loses his family too. So he has lost fucking everything. I guess it is kind of a big beat then. <laughs> He's lost no, everything. It, 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 it's larger implications for sure. And then she says, like, look, you're never going to see him again. And then this is why we, why Angela doesn't know who he is. And when we, when she first meets him, because he was not in his son's life and therefore not in his granddaughter's life, you know? Uh, right. And we still don't know exactly what happened to uh, Angela's parents in Vietnam, but you know, I, I we can make We're assumptions. We're going to find out with the next. I think we'll find out. Certainly, yeah. Uh, and that's all yeah, he ever Vietnam says. Is, is she? Or, you know, he says, "I want you to know where you came from," and I don't know it's so much for him as it is for her because he understands the value of that, even if it, it's not going to help him or save him. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see on that front. But yeah, I just wanted to like kind of tie the bow on that because this this no, episode yeah, sure. is more about trauma than any of the other ones because it's it's just like unrelenting um the, the the amount of trauma we see with this one character and there's no other story to cut away to for for any uh, relief either yeah very just an incredibly intense uh episode for that reason so then you know the last the last bit of nostalgia that we get uh while angela's still on this trip is the scene of Will sitting uh, in his wheelchair, you know, waiting for Judd to, to drive over the the uh, spike strip. Uh, he gets out. He immediately hits him with that flashlight. Now, we we thought, it. I guess, at first, we didn't. We just assumed, like, oh, he's trying to blind him, make sure he can't see who he is as he approaches him. Um, we later realized, and it, it, to me, it was like, oh, fuck. Like, I, I, I audibly gasped when I realized that he was using the same technology that they were using at the movie theater to, to mesmerize and to hypnotize the, uh, the movie going, mm. uh, patrons. And that's actually what he's using he, that he convinces Judd to hang himself using this, this mind control technology, uh, and this, this high tech flashlight that presumably, you know, lady true would get given to will, uh, utilizing this tech, uh, and it's, and it's, you know, he, it's an, it's kind of an oh shit moment, but it's interesting because, you know, he he convinces Judd to hang himself. So he did kind of lie to Angela where he said, like, I strung him up. Uh, but, you know, the spirit of what he was saying was was certainly true, is that he, you know, is so responsible for him. This seemed a little implausible because it, it's like, okay. You yourself. Think it, well, no, yeah. you think of, of hypnotism as being like you have to, it takes a while. You have to lull someone into a sense of, of relaxation, you know, uh, and, and that's kind of like the the you know, the swinging the watch back and yeah. forth kind of thing. Um, but there are there are certain kinds of rapid hypnotism. Obviously, it doesn't work on everybody. Probably wouldn't work on a police chief because they're very, like, very strong-willed, and it's hard to hypnotize somebody that doesn't want to be. It's right? like a Jedi mind trick. It is, it is. But we have sort of yeah. like the our, our highest level of cognition is sort of an executive function. The, the part of our brain that's questioning everything, all the input it gets all the time, Right. And below that, we have sort of a, 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 you know, sort of like just the processing of information and doing whatever needs to be done, right? So the, the, the main way to hypnotize somebody is to, you know, plant seeds of suggestion 
that the brain is just kind of like, okay, sounds good to me. I'll do that. And, and usually those powers of suggestion are coming from our own brain. Like, oh, I want to, I want to eat that food. So I'm going to go do that. Seems like a good idea. I don't know why I shouldn't. Uh, or I want to masturbate. Seems like a great idea. I don't know why I shouldn't. Uh, but the executive function is kind of like, well, maybe, you, you know, consider this and, you know, let's, let's, let's think this out. Uh, apparently, at least in theory, and there's not a lot of good studies on this because we're talking about hypnosis. Uh, and it, you know, it is somewhat of a pseudoscience amongst mm-hmm. the, you know, psychological community. Uh, but apparently, you know, the, the, the two things you got to do is to get someone's attention at the same time as you disorient them. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a bunch of people in a theater, they're all facing the screen. They're all expecting to see a movie. They're all, you know, ready to take in the, the action and drama and the motions of the movie. Uh, great susceptible audience. If you want to send subliminal messages into them, um, <clears throat> or, you know, at least in this situation where you, you know, you sort of blind someone with a strobing light, uh, and get their complete attention while disorienting them at the same time and don't know what's happening. Right. So at least on that front, there's a little bit of like, okay, I can, I can sort of buy into it. It's not just like, Ooh, mm-hmm. flashing light. Where am I? What is going on? Okay. I'll kill me. You know? <laughs> and I assume there's some level of pseudoscience. Like, yeah, I mean, there's some tech that we see in the show where it's like, well, I don't know if we have, have a way to make that now, but in this Watchmen universe, maybe there's some, way that that was invented as a, as a piece of tech you sure know, for, i mean you got kids uh, kids gotta, puzzles levitate i mean we're yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> we're we're in a different we're in a different stratosphere when it comes to technological innovation for sure um so you know i i didn't it, that didn't hang me up too much um but <laughs> oh nice i know it's a bad bad metaphor i didn't even mean to make that i didn't get um, hung up on it but the chief sure did but don't <laughs> Yeah, so uh, he he convinces Judd to hang himself. Uh, and by the way, Judd in that moment basically confirms that he was, you know, that that what Keen was talking about was was broadly true when he told Wade that you know they were working. He's like, well, you don't, you, you you know, you don't understand. I'm trying to help you people. Which of course it's like you know he thinks he's the white savior, but again, he's just as racist as the rest of them, just because he's not doing I, it purely. I still out think of, it's more complex than that, but he was. I think yeah. lying to himself about what he's really trying to achieve there. Um, and, and even that moment when he turns out the flashlight and he's himself again, and he's like, what's going on? What's happening? It's like, he could have fucking ran. He could have, you know, pushed the guy over in his wheelchair. He could have fucking stolen his flashlight. And he doesn't do any of that. He's still sort of resigned himself that even when he's not being hypnotized, that this is what's going to happen. And he's sort of powerless to stop it, even when he's aware of what's going on again for a, for a moment or two while they're having that r- sort of real conversation, rationalizing. He's like, oh, you got a clan outfit. Well, that's my, my, my pappy's own that. I, I have a right to own that. And then he does like yeah, the little. His- he even, the I think little, he even says history or heritage or something about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's, he's, you know, he's like, you don't, you, you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. He's like, yeah, I kind of do. And he does like the little, you know, forehead uh, MAGA Cyclops gesture. <laughs> and you, you can tell like he's been doing this a lot. Like he never yeah. stopped being hooded justice. He's just been doing it much more like, uh, you know, instead of going and just beating the shit out of people, doing research on them, uh, making alliances with trillionaires. Become you know, more he, of a detective, a, yeah. Yeah, he's got a bigger plan now, right? And he, and he knows what he's doing when he sees it, and he has no doubts. It's not like, yeah, you know, he's probably watched this guy for years. 
and knows who he really is. And this is part of, you know, he's like maybe one of the last few people he's rounding up before this bigger plan, or maybe it is part of this bigger plan. We don't know quite yet, but his, um, he seems more much at ease with who he is and what he's become. Uh, whether that's been good or bad, he's just kind of like, all right, well, it's time to hang yourself now. Go ahead. <laughs> We're all done here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I really do think, um, you know, and again, I guess we'll find out the full extent by the end of the series, but I think Judd was basically confirming that at least to some degree he's involved with like what Keen was telling Wade was, was correct in that they're basically, they think they're working both sides of it, but at the end of the day, they're still both seventh cavalry and they still, you know, it's unclear as to what their end goal is. And actually that might be, uh, that might actually be a counter to to the idea that they're working with Lady True because I don't think Lady True would have Judd kill kill or excuse me will kill Judd and not understand that he was part of their plan. Like you know what I mean? Like that. There's a lot of variables that we don't know the answer that we just can't know the answers to until we get well, the, think the about conclusion the, of the series. The uh, the rationale or excuse that you know Senator Keen gives to Wade. He's like, look, we're not we're not in with these people. We insert ourselves into these groups to, in order to control them to keep the peace, right? Yeah. And and you know Judd doesn't say all that to Will. But he's sort of implying that, like, oh, you don't know what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. here to, to to help protect you people. And Will's just yeah. like, really? You you think that uh, the the KKK and the police trying to keep the peace with each other? You think that's a narrative that resonates with me? Like, I want all <laughs> of you dead. I want all yeah. of you fucking dead. You think that you're two different sides trying to keep the peace? You're all the fucking same to me, motherfucker. So yeah, yeah his dismissal of that excuse is just kind of like, look, at, you know, we, we've just seen everything that guy's life has gone through, or at least, you know, his first 30, 35 years or so. So, uh, you know, when, when Captain Judd says that, we're just kind of like, all right, guy, nice try. Yeah. And it's amazing. It is amazing, by the way, that they took this character who was always like, oh, I wonder what's happening with him and turned him into like the most interesting character on the show to the point where I'm just like, I you know, I, I need to know everything that's going to happen with Will. Like, this is just, it, it's amazing the amount of, of empathy and, and, and kind of pathos they gave this character who was at most like a mystery box character up until this point in the series, you know, like I, I just really, I, I commend him for doing that in, 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 in 60 minutes. Cause that's an incredible feat for a show that's already given us such dense, amazing characters. And last week we had yeah, that well, incredible we, looking gra- glass episode. There's only, you know, what, like two members Three of the Minutemen that oh, we yeah. get any kind of backstory on. And mm-hmm. uh, one is just kind of like, here's this old guy who wrote a book. <laughs> and here's this guy yeah. who's a sociopath. Uh, and here's a guy we know absolutely nothing about. So there was plenty of room there. Uh, Lori too, like her character was so kind of just one dimensional uh, in the comic. They've done such a great job of, of showing that she's, uh, you know, become her mother in a lot of ways of like just accepting the world as it is, uh, you know, um, and also just like, you know, embracing the whole idea of being a, a comedian, being a joker to deal with how awful the world is the way that yeah. uh, she deals with the pain. But yeah, well, I think that, that, that's really the best Lindelof could do with this is to figure out what characters were left. You could still develop more. Uh, and, and then, you know, 
go back and, and tell a story about who these people were or where some of them came from a long time ago. Yeah, and I, and I think that's really what Lindelof loves at and, and at his core is who he is as a writer, you know, especially, is that he just loves characters and loves exploring characters dealing with trauma. And, and you know, when you do that and you really ground these characters in, in relatable, um, heartbreaking, you know, stories, you can do whatever batshit, you know, insanity around it that you want. And it still is, it comes off as, as like an art piece. Like that's, that's the leftovers. Like when you give somebody the premise to the leftovers on paper, it sounds like a goofy fucking like sci-fi network show, but you watch it and you're like, this is the most, one of the most incredible fucking dramas I've ever seen on television that happens to kind of revolve around a sort of sci-fi story, you know, like that's, that's the, the, the beauty of what Lindelof has done, you know, in it, especially in his later career when he's really, you know, honed his craft. First half of season one had that feel to it, you know, where you were like, what, I don't know what the story that's being told is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mentioned before when we talked on the air that like the, I started watching uh, leftovers at the same time as uh, handmaid's tale. And I, I couldn't deal with like two crazy post-apocalyptic uh, religious cults at the same time. Yeah. So I had to like pick one, like which one I wanted to go with for a while. So I, I went with um, a handmaid's tale and I stopped watching Leftovers for a while and I kind of forgot about it for a couple months and then came back to it. And like the last half of season one and then the next two seasons were very, very different. Um, they, you know, the, all of season one, you're still dealing with this fucking cigarette cult, which is kind of annoying. But I kind of like how they departed from that by it was like, yeah, we're just going to Obama style. Do it, yeah, don't spoil it. But just <laughs> Obama style, basically. They they very quickly moved it a different direction where you're like, uh, what's going to be the consequences of that? Oh, none. OK. All right. Well, we're just uh, moving along. All right. Great. Wonderful. I, you know, uh, and this is actually I don't know if you want to say to his credit or to his detriment. Damon Lindelof is extremely engaged in um, conversation around his television shows. And he left Twitter because he was just so like devastated by the kind of blowback from the lost finale and i think you know as much as people shit on the last couple seasons of lost uh i don't think it was nearly as bad as people remember i think it very much had a similar kind of game of thrones aspect where people expected it to end a certain way and it didn't so everyone shat on it you know and and i think in its own ways it had its own merits but regardless he that he that forced him off social media but he still engages a lot with uh, online, you know, reviews and especially with critics. He's very friendly with a lot of TV critics. He goes on their podcasts like he's very into um, the kind of uh, review culture and, and things like that. And I think he really took a lot of the criticisms of the first season, the leftovers to heart uh, and so much so to the point where he kind of almost revamped the series entirely in the second season. And it's one of the best scenes of television I've ever seen. And, you know, third season included as well. Um, so I, I, I think he very much crafts his stories now with an eye towards the way that people are going to receive it. Like he doesn't he doesn't write in a vacuum anymore. Like he really thinks about like, all right, well, how are they going to theorize about this? And what's what are people going to think the story is doing here? And what you know, like, and it's not like a, out of a fear of rejection or a fear of criticism but more so of like what he understands the way people consume entertainment in 2019 i think that's why he didn't want to do more than one season or at least not have it planned out where he's like i don't want to you know 
do this and have it take off. And then they're like, put a gun to my head and, and I got to do four more exactly. seasons. that I don't know what I want to fucking say. Like I want to have the whole thing written and done and be over with it before anyone lays eyes to it. So there's no way I have to have the pressure of trying to figure out how, if it, you know, how to fix it. Right. And, and I watched yeah. it. You did like a half an hour interview with somebody right before it came out. And he's like, I have no idea if this, this works or not. <laughs> and and, the, and the, the guy who's interviewing me is like, well, you know, the, we already got to see the press. Or we got to see the first six episodes already. And it's mind blowingly good. And, and Lindelof's just kind of like, well, thanks, but I don't know. <laughs> and you really get <laughs> no, the sense he that, he that just, he's it, yeah. too afraid to, to like anything. Cause he's so afraid of, of, of a backlash to it. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, people are, are still speculating. We're going to speculate a little bit here. Um, but I, I just, so far, every episode is, is felt completely different and original and right. Uh, and is about something about many things. And I just, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being the kind of person who is not enjoying the show for what it is. Uh, yeah. it, it's like, it, I can't imagine taking more risks on a show and having them pay off. I just never yeah. seen anything like this. It, it, it's truly an incredible feat. I feel like it's a, every episode's a high wire act and he always manages to make it across and it, and it's, it's kind of fucking nuts. Like, and I guess, you know, we'll see if he makes it all the way to the end with, without falling. But I, I just, as, as of now, it's like every episode improves on the last one. It's fucking incredible. Um, uh, Gene Smart already said that he sticks to the landing that it like the whole, like I, I, I can't imagine how he wouldn't with all this shit that's yeah. happened so far, but yeah, she, she said it's like the, 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 it's, she didn't say there's a twist, but there's like a big revelation at the end. And like every episode has like eight or nine huge revelations. You're like, Holy shit. That you will. Uh, but apparently there's a big one. There's a really big one. And I don't know if it's in the finale said, or, 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 Hmm. Yeah. Well, Lindelof has said, I, I, I listened to, they, his, they've been doing like an official podcast and I listened to the second episode, which came out today. They do it after each like three episode block. So it was one, two, right. three, and then four, five, six. And he said, basically like, look, a lot of people clocked suffer early on, like Vite's not on, uh, on earth. He, he, he said, he confirmed that he is on Europa, but I mean, that was, you know, we confirmed that independently just from the obvious context, but um, he's like, yeah, you know, they picked up on a lot of shit. There's one really big thing, which I've alluded to in almost every episode that nobody's picked up on yet. So I imagine that'll be like, whatever the big revelation or the big reveal about the millennium clock is, or Vites, whatever it happens to be in the finale, we're going to look back and be like, oh, well, yeah, that was there the whole time. <laughs> um, that's really fucking genius that we, that we didn't catch that. So I think he, he did certainly craft, you know, the series with an idea well, of like, well, there's. <laughs> Some stuff they're going to, you know, sniff out and there's some stuff they're never going to figure out until we actually reveal it. And that's going to blow people's minds. So I, I want to jump into uh, predictions then because I've been. Wait, 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 but so we, we one scene we skipped the last scene we didn't we didn't mention. Um, so and just real quick, the last scene, basically, Angela wakes up um, and she is not in the jail anymore. She is in Lady True's uh, care, we presume, in her complex her avengers and uh, end game complex that she's in but the vivarium underneath but, yeah, the, the <laughs> millennium clock yeah um and we have no idea how she got there but of course again she's a billion a trillionaire so if she wanted her and if will said hey go go get her out of police custody it probably would not have been a big deal for her to figure out a way to do that but so that 
uh, opens a lot of interesting possibilities as to what the fuck we're going to see next episode, but also just real funny note from that scene. Another little jab at, uh, Zack Snyder, uh, Lady True's reading the fountainhead as, as Angela wakes up, which is, uh, an Ayn Rand book. And of course, if we've, we've detailed exhaustively, Zack Snyder is an Ayn Rand fanatic. Uh, it, it, it completely encapsulates why he didn't understand the Watchmen. Um, in his adaptation fully. And yeah, I just thought that was a fun, that had to have been an allusion to him. He's fucking making a movie about the fountainhead. There's no way that wasn't like a dig at him. Is um, he really? Cause I know that there's always like, is, a, like a made for TV or direct to video version of some, uh, Ayn Rand novel that comes out and no one he, ever goes and sees it, but is, is it really to come out in theaters? Cause he's making think- like a, yeah, he's he's has a script, and uh, if you Google it, there's a bunch of like ne- Zack Snyder's next project is an adaptation of The Fountainhead. Um, yeah, so it's he, ne- he's it's never going to see theaters. He's never going to go. No, nobody, nobody's going to fucking put money behind it because it's never going to. Nobody's going to fucking see that stupid movie. But uh, yeah, but in any event. Um, so yeah, that was the end of the episode. Um, incredible episode, and I think we have a lot of theories that I, uh, we'll try to go through a little quick because we're we're going on two hours now yeah, but i'm um, going along here so the the i mean the big thing that the clock is right when when somebody asks you know what does it do and uh bien who i think everyone understands is the clone of lady true's mother in child form who she's trying to implant memories into as we've discussed uh who is her essentially press secretary as well uh says it tells time like just sort of like child is a good well it just tells time <laughs> but you know there's a couple different ways like you know my, my my fucking my cell phone tells time right but this is this is a thing that's like 2,000 feet you can tall. also call in a drone strike if you have the right you know program well, installed <laughs> we don't know exactly if it can do that or, or it can you know it's being well, built no, by I'm, drones, I'm, but yeah but exactly. the way she says tell time almost implies that it can tell time what to do Right. And the, you know, the play that Vite's working on is called, you know, the, the, you know, the Watchman's Son. Watchmaker's, Watchmaker's, Watchmaker's Son. Son. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, Dr. Manhattan was the son of a watchmaker, built watches himself. That's how he became uh, Dr. Manhattan was because he was trying to fix a watch for his girlfriend at the time. They got stepped on by this fat guy at a carnival. Like all these things, you know, it, it revolves on the day of, of time. Time is always a huge motif in, in Watchmen. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that we're going to get some flashbacks of, uh, Lady True from Vietnam when she was very young. Now, they've already kind of made it clear that she's not related to, uh, you know, Annie Blake, that they're, they're already doing like one origin lineage story. I don't think they do another one. Um, but, you know, clearly Lady True is very focused or very cognizant of Dr. Manhattan. Um, when we went through the, the, uh, PDPedia files, there was sort of like a, a very, kind of yellow journalist uh, interview with her press secretary or her clone daughter um, with a very sort of uh, salacious accusation that Lady True is uh, secretly financing the Vietnamese Liberation Front, um, which, you know, as of right now, Vietnam is the 51st state in this world of the Watchmen. Uh, the person interviewing is basically saying, is, is Lady True uh, supporting VLF terrorists with cash, web and other resources? Is it true? And then her daughter, clone daughter, says, Lady True's desire to see her homeland uh, again regain independence is a matter of public record. Uh, but she rejects militant nationalism in all forms. Her interests are global, not local. 
and she seeks only peaceful resolutions for uniting and pacifying the nations and bringing mm. all into an age of illumination. So mm. that's not just getting <laughs> revenge for the Vietnam War. That sounds like she wants to basically eradicate the idea of nations and bring about the new world that the Millennium Clock will be the first uh, wonder of that new world for. Now, clearly you know, the clock has a function beyond telling time, mm-hmm. right? And the vivarium is sort of this, uh, you know, it's a biodome, right? It's uh, what I think is going to possibly be an earthship or sort of an arc for moving forward in time. We know we can't go back in time, but we can control the variable rates that which different things move forward in time. Um, so I think... My guess is that her and Vite had a plan together and that she needs him to complete the plan. Uh, and he's been in this purgatory put there possibly by Manhattan, possibly by somebody yeah, I think we haven't that's seen yet. Uh, because likely, yeah. Manhattan understands the danger of what they're going to do may have larger consequences than just wiping out everyone on Earth or you know moving uh, the Millennium Clock and the Vivarium and everyone inside it forward in time to the point where there's nobody else left on the Earth and they can bring about a, a whole new world order of clones with the memories of everyone that used to be, right? Or at least of the select few people they want those memories to, to go forward in time with, right? Yeah. So, almost done. Um, also in the PDB files, they reveal that that satellite that Vite was signaling uh-huh. with his corpse oh, uh, message uh, uh-huh. is her satellite. That is Lady Vite's, Earth uh, Lady Vite, Lady True Satellite. Uh, you know, we don't know had, her first name. It could be with a, it could start with a D. I mean, that that might have been why we didn't see the full text maybe. of what he said. It could be Danielle or but whatever. They, Who knows? They state that she has 50 uh, Voyager t- uh, type satellites throughout the solar system. And it's hmm. and also the cameras on Mars that allegedly are filming Dr. Manhattan build sandcastles yeah. and tear them down are also hers, right? So clearly she's trying to, to, even if Manhattan's not really there or not, she's trying to monitor where he is and keep tabs on him and has been trying to find uh, Vite, wherever he is. And as soon as he gets out, he's trying to signal a satellite and it notices him and he's saying, you know, he's trying to get its attention. So he must know whose satellite that is because he's, he's the smartest man in the, the world or on Europa uh, in the solar system. So there's no way that those, those two aren't working together and somehow have been kept apart right yeah that's yeah i i think that that's i think that's definitely likely to be true and i think you know obviously we we talked about about Veidt's original plan was to create a utopia like a create a, a more advanced society it's it's completely in line with what lady true is talking about it, it and so much so right. that it seems like it's the exact same plan he's just trying he's taking a second swipe at it after his first attempt he was going work. more extreme with it he thought just by bringing about world peace then you know by stopping the cold war you could do it uh and, and clearly that hasn't been the case right so i think you know lady true's idea is over is to make the the you know make this race war happen uh, make everyone kill each other while everyone who's important and uh, noble lives in the vi- you know, vivarium. The Millennium Clock moves time forward faster till they get to a point where the world's killed itself off and they repopulate yeah. the Earth with their clones. Now, I don't know how the Seventh Cavalry plays into this in the teleportation uh, portal they have. Um, that could just be like another element of, of building up this race war just, potentially. Yeah. 
uh, and just her tricking them into assisting her without their knowing it. Potentially, yeah. Now, this is just a loose framework. Now, we know that time's going to be a factor. I, I, I really don't think they're going to go like, oh, we can go back in time and uh, prevent the Vietnam War from happening. Like, they're not going to do that. No. Uh, they're not going to go back and, and, and show the squid attack again. They've already shown the, the, that. They've already shown that, like, hey, we can do a giant set piece, you know, giant effects piece like this. Um, the only thing they haven't done yet on the show uh, is, you know, like almost all the scenes they have are very short, like five to seven minutes, right? There hasn't been a really long extended action sequence or like, a, you know, oh, the, this action's going on here and that action's going on there and we're cutting back and forth. And, uh, you know, there's like a ticking clock down to like a big action you know, kind of a thing. Um, Lindelof doesn't really do that until he does. And he did that with yeah. the leftovers sparingly. But when there was like, OK, this is the, you know, the bomb's going to go off thing and you'd have like a 25 uh, minute long sequence of, of building tension up to a climax. Right. So I think that, you know, we've had some real build up episodes and then some payoff episodes, but they're all still kind of the same structure. Right. And there hasn't been like a big, okay, here's, you know, here, here it comes. Here's the, you know, we, maybe we only get one climax or maybe we get like one and build up to that point, And then like the final episode is all one giant uh, action thing. We'll, we'll see, but uh, there's going to be some, something's got to have to happen with time. Uh, something that's going to be, you know, we, we've got two big mega powers, Vite, Manhattan, and True. I'm almost positive Vite and True working together. The, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the almost anagram of their name is, is very telling. The fact that he's trying to signal her satellite, right? The fact that she has a yeah. statue of him. Uh, the, the only X factor here that we know nothing about is where's Manhattan? What is he up to? Is he aware of what they're doing? And is he uh, supportive of it or is he opposed to it? I, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, context would lead me to believe at least that he's opposed to it and that he was the one who imprisoned Vite and was keeping him apart from true because he knew that she needed him to pull this off. And, and, you know, presumably, he put him some. He put him somewhere where he thought he would never get out, and, and and True would have no idea where he is, which is why she's scouring the galaxy with these satellites, trying to find a sign of of humanity to find where he might be hiding. But he was hiding behind an invisible barrier. So, like him getting out and putting those bodies there was, as you said, like his way of signaling to her, like, "Hey, I'm fucking alive. I'm on Europa. Come get me." And the scene that we see, you know, we we I think we theorized this last a uh, couple weeks ago we see the pod crashing that that probably was Vite, which is why she had to go buy that land out really quickly from that couple right. uh, because she knew he would be landing there with a pod maybe that she sent to pick him up. Like that's the only mm-hmm. way he could have gotten back from Europa is if she sent some kind of craft that was sent there to pick him up and then bring him, you know, back to earth. So I, I think that that's, I think that all tracks. Uh, and then <clears> just the one question is how is the, is the millennium clock going to be a time, some kind of a time device? Is it going to be some kind of a uh, device that wipes out, you know, race it? Like it certainly seems like this entire season's built around race. It, the, the finale is going to involve some element of eliminating racism or trying to curate something of that nature. Uh, and you know, whether or not it, it just gets, it, it, like you said, people get in there and it just fucking goes forward, you know, 2000 years in time and all of life on earth is wiped out except for the chosen people that are brought into this um 
vivarium and that of course has extreme eugenics vibes but that's you know and that's <clears throat> fight to a taste so especially when she's that's... just straight up cloning people that she wants to be there <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah it's it's it's, it's uh, extremely so master this... race-esque you know yeah so this sort of reminded me of a uh, a series of novels written by a guy back in the 1980s uh named vernon vinge who you know, if you read sci-fi and you like Arthur C. Clarke, Vernon Vinge is like the the higher level up above Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, basically, wrote this series of novels where uh, this future world where people figure out how to uh, just out of thin air basically create these metal spheres that uh, cuts through anything once you create it. Right? Um, can't mm-hmm. be moved, and everything inside it stops moving in time, and there's no huh. way to get rid of it until the date at which you programmed it to disappear. Uh, so immediately wow. all these countries go to war with each other. They, they lock all of each other's planes and tanks up inside these things, right? Um, headquarters of buildings are now locked inside of them. Some to, because they were under attack to, they ensealed themselves. Others were ensealing others. Right. Uh, and while all this is going on, uh, there's, there's like the world falls into chaos and poverty but there's a, like a sort of a singularity of the, the few rich people uh, seal themselves up to get away from the war. And they just assume, well, we'll, we'll just, you know, lock ourselves up until it's like, uh, you know, 50 years from now. And somehow there's a mistake and their, their spheres or bobbles don't open until 50,000 years later. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and there's nothing there's nobody left on the earth. It's just these like 100 people. Right. And they have just like the the most amazing high tech, you know, servant robots and replication like they can do anything. But there's no new industry to repair or rebuild anything Uh, like, you know, they've got robots to repair the robots. But who repairs that robot? Right. Like there's a point where uh, without a full society, like it doesn't matter how rich you are, you're fucked. Um, yeah, if you, don't, so, if, you don't, if you don't have people in place and infrastructure in place to do other essential functions, it's like right. you're living in a fucking, you know, <laughs> you're living in a post-apocalyptic world. So I wonder if this is, might be something like that where she thinks, oh, I'm just going to jump forward in time in my my little Earth, uh, you know, yeah. my, my uh, I forgot the name of it. <laughs> the... Uh, uh, Millennium Park. Uh, no, not Millennium Vivarium. Park. Vivarium. Not Vivarium. Um, the, the Earth ship, you know, the idea of, you know, you build a, a self-contained habitat for whatever yeah. disaster comes around. And they even say, like, you know, well, short of a nuclear blast, direct nuclear blast, nothing can destroy this mm-hmm. clock. It'll be around for millennium, right? So there's an implication that, like, this thing is being designed to... It needs to, to be around for, yeah, you know, thousands not, of not, years. Not jump through time, but sustain a long period of time around it. Uh, so that, that's kind of what made me think of, of, of those those well, books. I hadn't read them in like twenty years. I went back and like read the synopsis, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's kind of a kind of weird." You know what? And you know, it's not even a matter of jumping through time because they're working with all these teleporters. It, it really is a matter of popping in and out of the time space time continuum. So it's a it's a matter of literally moving through this some kind of a teleportation, moving this vivarium through a teleportation. Uh, device to get them from one point in the space time continuum to a future point. And this is all tech that, you know, they've, they've already established in the Watchmen universe. Um, you know, Vite used it to move through space, space, but there's no reason you can't use it to move through time. And that may be why she's gathering all of these Manhattan batteries and all this shit that was like, you know, to, like, I think that that's, um, 
a plausible way to do this. And the fact that that mm. needs to be standing thousands of years from now is because that's the other end of the portal. And she's got to, she's got to have a, you know, you got to have a destination as well as like an entry entry Maybe. point. So my kind of my, my long shot thought of, of why Manhattan's not on board is just that uh, he can see far enough ahead to know that it's going to go awfully wrong in a lot of ways. And he still has enough humanity left to not want it to. Right. Like doesn't mm. want to see the whole human race wiped out for this little, uh, you know, fantasy eugenics utopia idea that, that she and, and Vite have. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm super excited. I, I feel like it's going to, you know, all of our predictions have, have mostly <laughs> come out almost, you know, 100 percent. So the. And I'm I'm willing to be totally surprised and, and proven wrong and enjoy the, sure. the you know oh, but but no, I think that's you know because it's gonna I make sense whatever happens a... is gonna make sense and, and I would love to be like oh I didn't see that coming I, I just feel like like you know like you said Lindelof's like I keep putting clues there for you and I feel like we're pretty good at picking up on that kind of stuff like what what yeah. is there to be a red flag of oh hey this is this is really what this is about and which stuff is just kind of like the fluff to make it not so and, obvious. And they still have this incredible ace in the hole of like whatever scene we get with Dr. Manhattan is going to blow our fucking minds. Like no doubt, you know, (laughs) presumably that we're going to get one because we do see at least, you know, I'm, I'm as far as the season goes along, I'm more and more skeptical of like, Oh, that's not really Dr. Manhattan that we see the blue hand. Like that's gotta be fucking Dr. Manhattan. Why else? You know, he's the, you know, the, 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 the elephant in the room, this entire series He's the Chekhov's gun of the series. He's the Chekhov's like, gun. Yeah. If well, he doesn't the, show up, it'd which be was, really odd. With his action, I don't think it was like, you, it, they made you just bored with him because he was so mopey and just like, Oh, I'm so over everything. And now it's like, it, it, here's this hanging dong, uh, the entire series, a, a, just walking around moping. legend that everyone talks about, but you haven't seen, you know, it, yeah. it's like, he, he's the ultimate alpha now where, you know, if the world's going to end, you hope he shows up to stop it. If it's yeah. not going to end, you think he's going to show up to make it end. Like whatever, whatever's going to happen, he's going to have a huge role to play. Yeah. Uh, is he going to save him or is he going to send people back through that portal? Like, even if it does, are we going to see the effects of it working? And then is he going to, Oh, who knows? I mean, I, this could go any, any direction. Yeah. Um, I don't want to see a I, portal though. Like we, we, they've already had like, you know, the Avengers and Transformers and Pacific Rim. Like I'm, I'm done with portals above a tall building. Don't need that. I'd much rather see something different, but. Uh, well, I don't think it'll be a physical. I don't think it'll look like that. I think, but I think certainly the idea that they're working with all these portals, which is an established technology is not, uh, is not nothing, but, but I guess we'll see what, you know, the, the mechanism of, of this clock is. We, we still have no idea. Um, well, I have a, but my quick question is what is the utility of true having will around and why is he trying so hard to convince? I mean, I think maybe him, his and Angela's story is more just to convince her uh, or to, to explain to her where she came from and why he does did the things he did. And it's not necessarily related to the grand plan of truths. Mm-hmm. And maybe, but I don't know. I mean, that's I think the question. It's back to the motivation where he's been through so much trauma uh, through white supremacy, um, that it's just like, there's no point. We got to like, just totally start over. Right. And with, with her, it's like the, you know, Vietnam war was very much a, a war of white supremacy where we were, we were killing millions of people. Yeah. 
uh, for an excuse of, oh, communism. But it was like, really, it was just we didn't want poor brown people to, you know, build their own, uh, you know, government and, and system that benefited workers. Right. Uh, that was, you know, a so war on I, behalf of corporations, essentially, to, to ensure that this, yeah. this this idea didn't take hold in America. Um, and there's that, that one that one shot. Uh, so, yeah, I've been, I've been theorizing like her whole motivation is, you know, like the, the masked uh, uh, the masked vigilantes have a very personal trauma. Uh, the much yeah. larger figures in the story have a, a broader political, uh, geopolitical, racial trauma, right? And they're not looking for just like specific personal vengeance. They're looking to fundamentally change the world in some way that probably is not good, but you understand where they're coming from. Um, and, and there's that one really quick shot in the trailer for the next episode that looks like somebody with uh, very short but very dark hair with very light skin, like they're Asian, uh, being blasted back by like a huge wall of fire and smoke. Looks very similar to, um, yeah, yeah, so the shot in Zack Snyder's film where a comedian is just like blasting Vietnamese soldiers with a a flamethrower and Manhattan's vaporizing them. Looked very similar to that. I did a shot-by-shot comparison. I screenshot it myself and everything. And uh, and, and there's even that moment in the trailer where Angela, who's now in, in True's compound or, you know, lab or whatever says, you know, I know what they, I know what you did, or I know what they did to you or whatever. I, I took your pills too. So it's, it seems like Angela has like a, um, built up a tolerance to these pills and can now just pop them whenever she wants to know someone else's life. <laughs> seems, seems a little hazardous to your health, but yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess if, if you, were, if you could figure it out, <clears throat> well, if you know what you're doing, maybe. Yeah. So it seems like we're going to, you know, we've, we did a whole episode of her experiencing this other, you know, Will's life. We'll have a much smaller version of that where she does the same thing. Probably a truncated, yeah. Yeah, and it's in color, and we see live, or, you know, we see current action and like a little bit of flashback of, of Saigon, right? Um, but but like the 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 tagline for her fake, uh, you know, tea and and tea and honey shop is let Saigons be Saigons. Like, hey, let's just be friends, even though we had this horrible war where you killed millions of people. And I think Lady True is very much like, no, you need to really see what happened. You were a kid when you were born there. You didn't really see it. You need to, you know, I don't think she's going to intentionally show it to her, but she's going to take those pills and have those memories and be like, oh, my God, now I really see. Now I see the, you know, the people coming through and burning your huts down and murdering people by the, you know, by the millions and understand why you want to do what you want to do. Well, well, I think the conflict for her is going to be, uh, does she agree that yes, this is noble vengeance or no, is this a bridge too far? Yeah. And I think the, the idea that the show introduced, you know, back in the last episode with at, at Wade's EDS meeting of generically inherited trauma is going to be lady true's form of trauma. You know, you talked about how each individual character has their, you know, their personal trauma and Lady True is probably too young to experience the most horrific elements of it. But she did, you know, it was passed on to her in some ways by her mother, probably. I mean, that's I think that's there's I don't think it was an accident that they mentioned that so prominently in that last episode sure. during the EDS well, scene. And, you know, and, you know it really, seems like these pills are, you know, because they're clones and they don't have, a, a, you know, like a, a normal Presumably, we don't know if yes, that's genetic trauma. Well, we know they're, I mean, we know they're clones, right? Um, 
We know there are clones. We don't know if her. No, we know there are clones. We just don't know. But we know. But we don't know for sure. But we know. (laughs) So these memory pills are a way of her implanting these uh, generational traumas into clones, right? So she Mm -hmm. doesn't. She wants to have a more. uh, She wants to build a utopia, but she wants her clone army, (laughs) if that's what she really is building. From the final shot in the trailer, it seems like there's a lot more clones than we've seen before uh, in Tulsa into something that's going to carry out that vengeance or be very aware of the previous trauma once they get to their new world, if that's what they're really working towards. Which is actually kind of funny and in stark contrast to Manhattan, presumably his clones or his creations, Phillips and Crookshanks, who have no humanity or kind of, you know, emotion of their own. And, you know, even to the point where Vite's like, trying desperately to make them even cry about, you know, sad, a sad occurrence. Like it's just, they're so devoid of that. And I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting contrast with, uh, true's clones, presumably where she's trying to, you know, to instill this humanity and this empathy in them. Um, it it is an interesting, I don't think that that's an accident that, that we see that kind of juxtaposition between, I I do wonder what happened to the, to the version of Crookshanks that really did cry because she seemed, pretty fucking smart like she seemed yeah. like she made some development he might he still be around to respond to it now nah, he, he killed, killed a lot of them he killed all of them <laughs> he oh, was yeah, that's true because the because the two that, that we did the two that he fishes out of the lake i at lake i think were the only two left at that point right like the, the other ones are all dead well no or, he or launched into on the spot he was completely without that's what i'm saying that those that those were the only two once once he brought them to adulthood that were around yeah. at that point yeah yep so okay. clearly, his, his, as she got better, his expectations uh, progressed faster than she could keep up with if she was able to at all. Yeah. Or he just snapped. Or we, we know he's losing his fucking mind in, in, in this situation. <laughs> and he just snapped and fucking killed her anyway. Um, he had a bad night. So, you know, I can't blame him. But um, yeah. So I think, you know, I, we, we talked about a lot of theories. I, I, I can't wait these last three episodes i don't know how the fuck they're gonna get all of this in in the last three episodes but um i can't wait it's gonna be fucking no, awesome they're just uh, gonna keep adding more and more and more the next two episodes and the final episode we're gonna be like there's no fucking way any of this is gonna get tied up um but he claims it's gonna so i'm excited for it yeah and i and i you know i believe him i think i think he's i i, I don't think he's bullshitting but i just think it's uh it's incredible uh the 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 high wire he's been walking with this show and uh yeah i I can't wait so yeah um uh that about does it for us this episode uh we uh have uh, other shows though if you'd like this show we are hosting a mandalorian review podcast uh currently it's called uh, bounty hunters guild the mandalorian podcast it's available in the same feeds that you're uh, listening to this in soundcloud.com slash move left also on uh apple podcasts um we uh host a weekly uh political review uh political talk show uh, from a socialist perspective that's available also in the same feed that goes up every thursday we're on facebook if you want to go uh join the conversation over there facebook.com slash move left idiots we are on uh, patreon if you want to support the show patreon.com slash move left uh, tinyurl.com slash move left merch if you want to pick up any merch from the show uh, i am on twitter at move underscore left uh, and i'm on twitter at smuck collector uh spelled with an er not an or 
Yep, we'll see you next week. Yeah.